Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The Michelin Le Mans Cup on RS1. On RS1. Part of the Radio Show Limited Network. 27 degrees in the air and just creeping over the 30 degree mark for the track temperature as well on a very recently resurfaced track uh, track here at the Algarve International uh, venue. Great to be back. Uh, a couple of years ago we moved from Estoril to this venue for not only the Michelin Le Mans Cup but also the European Le Mans series, a race that will take place here tomorrow. And it's Johnny Palmer and Bruce Jones once again taking you through proceedings. Uh, if one thing has proven the case with this place and this championship over the years, Bruce, very difficult to predict and it's always busy in the early stages. Oh, absolutely so. And uh, the driver just can't wait to get released out onto the circuit. Glad to see the uh, Rinaldi racing entry is moving because the engine cover was back off that in, in the area behind the pit building a short while ago and concerned faces but they've got the 55 car onto the track that's shared by Alexander Matchell and uh, young Argentinian Nicolas Varone uh, making his debut at this level and in fact uh, throughout the course this weekend there'll be new faces in new places we've got the season to its final round so well done to all involved but really Johnny the interesting thing for me is how many teenagers are coming to play in P3 prototypes it was the, it was the domain of the older driver who wanted to move up from GT cars a while ago but these guys are coming hot foot from single seaters Alessandro Giretti in the race as well another 18, 19 year old coming across from racing single seaters largely in the Far East, a bit of Formula 3 a lot of Formula 4 but right at the end of the season he's come across to try P3 as well, it really is a new mix, Carl's still doing that traditional in and out of the pits to uh, just, you know, keep the team in touch but uh, you know, what a stage to have the final round of the year. I mean, well done to all involved for getting us through to the final round. But uh, this circuit, 4.652 kilometres of absolute glory. It's a rodeo ride. It dips, it bucks, it curves. And it's just a wonderful challenge. We'd have all thought 20 degrees was very good for air temperature, but 27 degrees, it just feels like high summer. Not high summer, high summer here is probably about 35 uh, degrees plus, but high summer to those of us from Northern Europe. So it's a fantastic end to the Michelin Le Mans Cup, and uh, hopefully we'll have the same for tomorrow's finale for the European Le Mans series. Yeah, this five-minute segment actually billed as warm-up, which is uh, a surprise to me because it's actually not on the timetable as such, but it, it enables everybody to, to kind of get used to the, the current conditions tyre choice, well, it's slicks or slicks really, there isn't necessarily something to do there, but they, they could adjust tyre pressures, and that just enables them to have a little bit more track time, this is very much a new thing in the European Le Mans as well and that is on the schedule, a five minute warm up ahead of tomorrow's 11 o'clock ELMS finale, so I think what will happen is the cars will be waved back into the pit lane and then it'll be reopened again to allow the cars to head from the pits to the dummy grid. And then it'll be a rolling start, of course, behind the pace car. And 21 cars, uh, 14 of them, well, 17 of them LMP3s, and the four additional GT3 cars, with the championship already sewn up in the favour of Iron Links and the lone driver, Reno Mastronardi, because there are, uh, there's at least one change when Giacomo Puccini wasn't able to join him 
uh, in an earlier round. So Puccini behind on points, but will be very grateful nevertheless uh, for Reno's fabulous driving, particularly in the early stints of the two-hour races, to enable at least the team to get a championship win and ensure that Iron Links will be on the grid for Le Mans next year. When one looks at the championship points, you go, oh, good grief, Puccini is the outside hope, but uh, that, of course he's a teammate, so there's nothing he can do about it, but the fact is that with that extra point for pole position, had he been an outside hope, his chances would be extinguished. He's uh, unfortunately hit 26 points behind with only 25 points to play for, but they've had such a cracking season. Car still diving in and out of the pit lane, but we're going to have uh, an exceptional race. I think this afternoon, two hours, keep things simple. Tactics don't have to be enormously you know, calculated by a man or woman with a cat abacus at the back of the garage. It's a rather more straightforward than that. Yes, uh, it, yeah, a lot of the regulations are, are actually have to take into account the fact that you must have a bronze driver in your lineup. So as long as that is the case and you put that bronze driver out for qualifying, then that's a lot of boxes ticked initially. It's then entirely up to the team as to which driver goes in first, whether it be a, the, the bronze or alternatively the silver or the gold. Uh, alongside. No platinum-rated drivers by the FIA permitted to take part in this championship. So that's always interesting to me as to who has been nominated as the start driver. And then generally, if, when it is the bronze, and that tends to be the lion's share of the, of the decisions uh, up and down the pit lane, it's a 50-minute drive time that you have to adhere to. So as long as you've done your 5-0 uh, a part of the race, then you can pit, change a driver, and uh, put in your uh, slightly quicker, slightly more experienced pilot. In LMP3, though, it's a bit more complicated than that because of the issue with the engine for 2020. The very thirsty 5.6-litre uh, V8, um, designed by Nissan and then race-prepared by Orica, still they can't guarantee that the LMP3 cars will do the full two hours, and that's the reason why every single LMP3 car will come in during the final 20 minutes of the race for an additional 85-second stop. So that's a minute and 25, isn't it? Uh, during which you can only fuel the car I mean you can do tyre pressures and wipe the windscreen if you wish as well but anything crucial like a driver change you can't weave that into uh, strategy despite one or two teams trying to do that when these altered regulations were first released and one or two people were trying to find the loopholes but uh, the ACO and the FIA have closed those very quickly so there's a sort of standard stop where you will do the driver change at roughly half distance or any time after 50 minutes will be fine um, and that's the same for the GT3s and they don't have the concern about the thirsty engine so GT3s will just do a single stop for the driver change and potentially tyres as well, certainly for fuel Now DKR Engineering very very close, they're poised to take, make it four Michelin Le Mans Cup championships in a row but there's a twist you can see on the points, Laurence Hoare and Jean Gloria top at 105 points apiece but unfortunately Jean Gloria not with us this weekend, a bit of family matters to be attended to, his place is being taken by Wolfgang Triller, who German racer who races for DKR Engineering in the European Le Mans series he's come down, so it's a real well, not a concern, but for Laurence Hoare he doesn't want to win the title on his own so Johnny and I have been discussing over lunch very nice lunch too, thank you um what the permutations might be and you came up with a theory that maybe Lawrence Hall would, would pull over at some point if the closest of the chasers which is uh, Edward Cauhape and Nicolo Molini if they're not in a position to overhaul them does he just uh, back it off but he'd have to finish out of the points he'd have to finish outside the top 10 to do so so anyhow let's not get ahead well, of ourselves but you know it's really tricky there for Jean Gloria just not able to come down here to Portugal and uh, yeah it is a bit of a dilemma 
even outside the top 10 wouldn't be good enough because then Lawrence Hoare gets half a point for finishing 11th or 12th or 13th, so that he would still win the title by half a point. Oh, well, that makes it simpler then, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what would be more galling. So Jean Glorio's name is on the side of the car. That shows you how late the decision was made. Wolfgang Triller, actually Lawrence Hoare's co-pilot, therefore, in the number three car. Um, if you don't cross the line and you park it in the pit lane with a lap to go, um, even, yeah, under ACO rules, you have to be running by the chequered flag. So parking it at the start of the last lap would do it fine. But they need to make sure that Molini and Edward Cohope in the 37 car were, were way down. You know, well, as long as they weren't winning the race, but they'd have to say sixth or seventh and no chance of catching those places up again. Because the last thing you want to do is make a decision like that, as brave as that, and then for it all to go wrong. I think DKR may just play it safe and, uh, and take the points that, that head their way, but we will wait and see. But they have just been consistently quick across four years. And for any team to do that in any championship, that really is a feather in their hat. Because we all know motor racing is uh, it's like trying to hold a handful of mercury, quicksilver between your fingers. You know, you don't stay at the top forever, but uh, certainly some of the teams, United Autosports, Cool Racing, really just having such a, a, a strong run, which they need against DKR Engineering. But on the grid, don't look in the top 10 for DKR. They're starting outside it. Wolfgang Triller, good only for 12th out of the 17 runners in that class. So um, certainly things are a little different to the norm normally right at the sharp end of the grid so it's a very different environment first row possibly second row you're relatively clear of the trouble but down in the middle of the pack it's always anybody's guess John Gloria despite not being here today is a previous LMP3 champion we mustn't forget for the Michelin Le Mans Cup he did that in the first year that P3s were part of the series 2017 with Alexander Torrell and then the following year, DKR again were victorious with Jens Pettersson and Leonard Hugenboom winning by well, over, t over 20 points in the end. They were that dominant in 2018. Francois Kerman and Laurence Hoare, who we find both now in the European Le Mans series for DKR, victorious in 2019. So will it again be the Luxembourgish team taking a clean sweep? This as uh, an extra and immediately people said, well, this is a great idea, why not make them a regular in the championship? The number seven car of Tony Wells and Colin Noble will be started by the man from Middlesbrough, Wells, and handed, therefore, to Edinburgh-based Colin Noble just after the 50-minute mark, you would have to think. Put lane open only for the LMP3 cars. Currently, they will head out then to form up on the dummy grid on the main start finish straight and then the GT3 cars will be allowed to leave the pit lane as well in fact that pit lane is now open for four of the GT cars and remember that they only have to stop once for a minimum of 125 seconds in the pit lane however all four cars will actually have to take on a bit of extra time as well because of where they are in the championship so the eight car um, 29 extra seconds to the 125 that they already have to automatically serve. And when you compare that to everybody else, it's a significant chunk because the 74 Ferrari only has to serve 13 extra seconds, the two Porsche, three extra seconds, and the 50 car of John Hartshorn and Ollie Hancock, an extra second. So we're looking for 126 rather than 125. But if we're in a scenario where the Iron Lynx Ferrari comes into pit road way out in front, just bear in mind it's going to lose half a minute.
compared to the 50 car and uh, pretty much half a minute to the two Porsche as well. And already Reno Mastronali admitting actually in his interview with Haley after the session that uh, Porsche look on it this weekend. They've certainly got speed as far as the balance of performance is concerned. They look very even indeed, the two uh, very different cars, mid-engine, rear-engine. Yeah, and what was noticeable, I found, in qualifying was the fact that Nicky Loitvilla was able to get very close to his ultimate pace very quickly. His first flying lap was almost right on the money. The next one marginally quicker, but a lot of the others took a while to build up. But it is one Porsche against three Ferraris in the GT3 class, but... Um, seemed to deliver their form very, very differently. Or maybe simply Nicky Loitvilla was lit up and just nailed that first banker flying lap. But it certainly looked impressive and did a few more laps very close to his ultimate pace. So uh, two class wins already this year. Could they be adding a third this afternoon for TFT Racing? The lone Porsche against those three Ferraris in the GT3 class. But, of course, up at the front of the field, it's, the, it's that mixture of Ligiers and Duquesne, 17 of them all in. Uh, now forming up at the front end of the grid and they have a little shade and uh, you'd have thought in October that would actually be something in which they'll feel cool but right now they're in a warm racing car and it's 27 degrees air temperature just remember this 30 degrees track temperature they're not going to have to go looking for tyre life and tyre warmth no no certainly not and especially on a freshly resurfaced racetrack as well that was all done in preparation for last weekend's Formula 1 Grand Prix here at Portimao and that seemed to go down very well indeed a lot of regular F1 fans I think didn't even know this place existed and were instant converts to being a fan of the Algarve International Circuit whether that can ever happen again We'll just have to wait and see, but uh, night in a very unusual year for F1 to be visiting some lesser-known European tracks. And in fact, I had a little look once they started listing the lights of Mugello and the Algarve International Circuit as to where else has the, has the grading, the FIA grading. You could go to a lot of countries. There are a whole host of circuits, some of which we don't tend to know because they're mm -hmm. motorbike circuits, but they've also got the car license. There's one up in Finland, etc., etc. So you can start having your flights of fantasy. Where would you put your fantasy Formula One season? But it's been a breath of fresh air, and if you, anything that gets the Istanbul Park circuit back into the World Championship at any level, at any category of World Championship racing, gets my vote. That was one of the absolute brilliant tracks in the past 20 years, and a shame it got parked very early on, but delighted to hear that it can still host racing because not so long ago, story said it was just being used for storing cars before they were being sold and that normally leads to a housing development but right now, it's great that hasn't happened and we will get that back in fact, I think these cars will go rather well around there in yes. the future too just bear that in mind, Johnny Alright, yeah, well I'll put a word in to all the important people in and around the Michelin Le Mans Cup big announcement last time we were racing these cars at Monza for the 2021 season which well, once again started April that's more like it, isn't it, rather than July. And we'll head to Barcelona for the opening race to the Road to Le Mans event with two races across that reach. Green flag, by the way, out today as the rolling lap commences. We are about four minutes away from race start, so that'll be bang on time. Uh, but yes, later on in 2021, trips back to Monza in July. Paul Ricard in the south of France at the end of August. Spa Fabergé in September and here to the Algarve International Circuit just under a year's time on the 24th of October here's the grid then Molini with another pole position he'll start alongside in his cool racing car the Graf entered uh, Rory Penton and Ligier so it is uh, an all just P320 front row then Norman Motorsport with a great performance from Moritz Krantz to start alongside Morris Smith in the sister cool racing Ligier the team from Switzerland row three 
uh, is the United Autosports car with John Schauman at the wheel alongside Alexander Matchell for the returning Rinaldi Racing. Tony Wells on the inside of the fourth row and new to the championship, Miguel Cristoval, who uh, resides in Lisbon, so the short drive down to the south coast to be taking part in this event for Virage, Team Virage. Edexport, the French outfit with Patrice Lafargue alongside Christophe Cresp for MV2S Racing. Then it's the Motorsport 98 crew of Belgium with Eric de Donker at the wheel alongside Wolfgang Triller, who is in for the potential champions, DKR Engineering. Steve Parrow for Rinaldi Racing and Michael Jensen, not to be confused with Mikkel Jensen, who we will see tomorrow in the ELMS. Rob Hodes for Nielsen Racing starts 15th alongside Daniel Schneider. That will complete the eighth row. And then one of each from LMP3 and GT3 on the ninth row with CD Sport, Jacques Wolf alongside Polman Reno Mastronardi for Iron Links. It's the TFT Porsche of Nicky Leutwiler to start 19th alongside Michel Bronizewski in the 74 Kessel Racing Ferrari and John Hartshorn will be at the rear having to serve just one extra second when it gets to his pit stop and expect John in that's sort of 50, 51 minutes depending on where he is on the track and at what point the clock is up to to hand over to Ollie Hancock and to bring that Kessel Racing Ferrari to the finish. So, the extra spice of an additional stop for LMP3, we've had that all year. And which way will GT3s go, depending on, uh, of course, the extra time that each of those cars has to serve. For the final time then, in 2020, the grid is starting to take shape in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Technically no split after qualifying between LMP3 and GT3, but they have uh, completely split themselves on the grid sheet. First to 17th are all LMP3s, and the GT3s tack onto the back. The pace car then jumps from one side of the track to the other, retires to the pit lane, and it's all eyes on the lighting gantry with Nicola Molini dictating the pace. The red lights remain on for the time being, but for the final time this season, we're about to go racing in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Now it's go. It's like a bomb behind as the cars try to go four, five abreast all the way down to the natural pinch point which is turn one. It is a good getaway from Molini in for cool racing. Coolish tyres though and a bit of chaos behind which is the MV2S car running a touch wide on the exit. Team Virage quite possibly involved with that as well and hard onto the brakes goes the 55 car of Alexander Matchell. The start's under investigation. We always get that message anyway even though everybody was behaving themselves quite possibly as then the leaders head down the hill that short decline into turn five with Molini leading Rory Pentadon and in turn is ahead of Moritz Kranz. Yeah, looking down towards the tail of the field, uh, some of the GT3 runners have got past some of the P3s, and it looks like it's Reno Mastronardi who's got away really well. The GT drivers love getting in. They've got very different performance potential. Very clean start at the front between Morlini and Pentland from the front row. There's a look from Morris Kratz down into turn one, got very, very close to the tail of Pentanen, but uh, just managed to back out between turn one and two. There, the middle of the shot, as they dive down from turn 11 into the compression at turn 12, just really pushing and battering cars. He has no right to do, Reno Mastronardi, but he's got company from behind. He's got Michel Bronicheski tucked in, and then Nicky Leutwiler just a little bit further back in the Porsche in the GT3 class. But the Polish driver realising he'd better get a wriggle on here if he, if he can get in front of Reno Mastronardi, then we've got a race because 
Uh, the danger is he allows the Italian to just scamper away, maybe put a couple of LMP3s between the white and black number eight car and the red and white in hot pursuit. But uh, Bronisiewski, as they're still trying to build a tyre temperature, needs to try and make a move as early as possible. But in turn, Michel's got some company because Daniel Schneider's looking to recover one or two places he lost early doors. He's in the 24 United Autosports car, and there's a challenge on as well for fifth position with, it is uh, the Team Virage car that ran a touch wide because that's now pushing uh, in sixth place with Miguel Cristoval eager to get that place back again from Alexander Matchell. But he ran a bit wide at turn three. That's cost him more time. Yeah, Miguel, a driver who's... Uh... <laughs> has a background in rallying from the very end of the 20th century, but uh, more recently he's um, just been getting back onto the circuit in GT4, so it's a massive step up to, to LMP3, but you can see how hard he's trying. The fact he outbraked himself and ran a little bit wide, just showing he's still learning where the limits are for him. Battle for second position, still very good, just 0.3 of a second number. Uh, 21, the Mulder Motorsport entry. Moritz Krantz, who was one of the stars of qualifying, and uh, like a lot of them, lost their very best time. It could have been higher on the grid, but starting third, very impressive indeed. He's keeping Rory Pentonen honest, but a second clear and pulling away. Nicola Molini, the outside hope in this championship challenge. Second on points at the moment. He needs to get every point he possibly can. He's got to win, along with Edward Cowhap, to take the title, to depose the DKR pairing of uh, Jean Gloria, who isn't here, and Lawrence Hall, who most certainly is. Yes, and they've also got to hope that the DKR engineering car does not finish as well, doesn't score any points at all so that they can uh, leap ahead of it. So it's, uh, it's a big ask, but it's quite possible. But if the race stopped, there was a replay again of the Team Virage <laughs> entry, certainly midway. It's not, it's the one behind it, actually. It's the, it's, that is the MV2S car. That's the car I was getting confused with Team Virage at the start of the race. Yeah, so Christoph Kresp, I reckon that was, in 11th position. Yeah, just finished my point. If they finished now, Nicola Molini would uh, take 25 points, and that would put him just one point behind. No, two points, because there's one point going for 10th place at the moment for Wolfgang Triller, who's in the DKR engineering thing. That might be as high as they possibly... Uh, the, the biggest advantage that could come the way. But at this moment, the snapshot, Nicola Molini, is, he knows he has to win, yeah. and he's going off to try and do that. But it's a two-driver race, and uh, plenty of time for things to change but all he can do is try and stretch his advantage but it must be said Rory Pentonen trying his best not to be dropped it's 1.6 1.7 seconds so it's been very good opening lap or two for Nicola Molini it's on to lap three so Triller with his hands full here John Shaman right behind United Autosports could do cool, cool racing a bit of a favour here not that they need to there's no connection between those two teams but inadvertently if uh, Triller can fall outside of the top ten, then all of a sudden the situation for Cool Racing gets a slightly brighter. I'm not sure anybody gave Cool Racing much of a hope of, uh, of wrestling the championship away from DKR, but they're doing all that they need to do right now. They've just got to look after their own race and see how things pan out behind them. Rory, oh, there's a car off into the gravel trap. I don't think it's caught the tyre barrier, despite the CD angle. Yes, car five it is, so one of a couple of CD Sport cars entered. That's Michael Jensen, who has come a cropper into the gravel trap. Exit of 11, I make that. And we've got another car off as well. I'm just trying to identify. Oh, is that the same one it's from the a different car. angle? Sorry, yes. it looks like it was into the tyre wall. But uh, so sudden flurry there. And again, that's up at uh, the top of the top of the hill. Just, oh, well, almost helped on his way. Didn't even turn into turn 11. That's a very unusual one. Normally people get it wrong on the exit. We saw cars, all four wheels in the air, going over the crest and finding there was no track beneath them. But uh, 
Safety car coming out, no surprise, that car stuck in the gravel. So the safety car will come round and pick up the leader. So the advantage, 2.2 seconds have been gained by Nicola Molini at the front of the race. That will come down as Rory Pentonen is given the chance to get onto his tail. Maurice Krantz, Maurice Smith, but all able to close up. Alexander Matchell and completing the top six. Miguel Cristobal making a very, very impressive debut in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Another message on the bottom of our screen, one I always enjoy reading, which is no further investigation necessary as far as the race start was concerned. So everybody was in the correct order as they crossed the start line. That must uh, entirely replicate the order that they qualified in, of course. And that's all been checked and is fine. GT3s then all in one gaggle towards the rear of the pack uh, it did look like Michael Jensen tangled with another car on the way into turn 11 and I was trying to work out who was around him it was a bluish car I thought so might have possibly been the number 10 Nielsen racing machine it was just outside the top 10 that that, that scrapping was going on and pushed out to the marbles couldn't turn in Michael Jensen found himself out in that gravel track but yeah, the, the angle of the first view that we had of that car made it look like it, it, it had ended up embedded in the tyres but uh, fell short of that thankfully the gravel track did its job nicely in arresting the speed of Michael Jensen's car and the Mercedes safety car will now be deployed to temper this pace can't quite understand why uh, Michael Jensen can't, Michael Jens, Jensen can't get that car moving. Clearly stalled, won't fire up, and he's sitting there. If he was on tarmac, he could just drift it down the hill and yeah. bump start it. But uh, unfortunately for him, it's in the gravel. Maybe some other further problems. We didn't see the lead up to the accident, but I think you're quite right. The car behind may have put him... Maybe he just went a little bit wide on the corner, but he did seem to be taking an unusual trajectory, one that would suggest there was a, a helping hand, perhaps... Come up, May. We have one of the two CD Sports cars stuck in the gravel. The sister one, Jacques Wolf, is running in uh, 14th place overall. Iron Links, Rina Mastronardi uh, lead the GT3 class ahead of Michel Bronicheski. And obviously, the field will be bunched up very much. The CD Sports, uh, Michael, Michael Jensen, number five, now being brought back out of the gravel onto the green stuff and should be able, with a little bit of help, to get on its way all over again so the safety car period shouldn't be too much of a long one no barrier damage because nothing was actually hit it was just a simple beaching at the crest of the hill at the uh, highest point on the circuit fabulous fabulous drop down from turn 11 to turn 12 and then as fast as you go up you almost have to down you almost have to go up again because the track whips up through from 12 to 13 and then goes on that flat ridge a wonderful place for photographers to catch a car silhouetted against the sky and certainly for the Formula 1 photographers last weekend it was a huge treat to find some angles that are so comprehensively different to the circuits they normally visit even Interlagos can't help with that but I'm slightly concerned there's a little bit of gravel that's come off the bottom of Michael Jensen's car and it's just where the cars are coming down to land between turns 11 and 12 we certainly saw some in qualifying Johnny having a real bucking Bronco ride now they get a chance to see that uh, any second now. The race leaders behind the safety car are going to come clock that gravel if they're paying attention and know that next time around they can't afford to go deep into turn 11, otherwise you'll catch that gravel as you drop down the hill. Yeah, it was Daniel Schneider, wasn't it, who left the ground coming out of 11. Christoph Kresp with an early stop as well, I noticed. Now that car was locking up, wasn't it, going into 10 and 11. Yeah. So I just wonder whether they thought they could solve something setup-wise there. However, the car has gone a lap down, as has Michael Jensen as well. 
Uh, but the, th the thing I like about ACO rules racing is that even if you have had a gravelly moment, generally you can be towed out of there and you are permitted to rejoin the race despite the outside assistance. And Jets are doing entirely the right thing here to stay well off the racing line, allow everybody through for a second time, so it'll now be two laps off the leaders, but at least they can still have a race. Um, you know, the, the second driver due in that car, who is Nick Adcock, will at least get some time behind the wheel. Jensen will want to get it across the track fairly soon. He's getting the tail end of the P3 runners through, then come the GT3 runners, then he can cross over. He needs to get to the other side of the track. His crew are already waiting in the pit lane for him for a check over because they might be concerned as to why that car couldn't keep going through the gravel, why it couldn't uh, be fired up. It was it had no power. It was, it was dragged out of the gravel, then got it with gravity down the hill. But uh, checking it out, they're not going to be scoring points in the race, barring... <laughs> considerable number of disasters to others but it's about finishing the season doing so in this wonderful late autumn Portuguese sunshine and it's just too good a track not to go racing on, of course they want to go out for the rest of the race. Yeah, and the Spanish outfit, a relatively short journey to actually be here, have brought two cars, one of which is still on the lead lap, that's the Jacques Wolf in the number six car and he shares that with Geoffrey Donada um, but yeah, it would be great to have uh, to get the five car to the finish as well, irrespective of how delayed it may have been. And actually, having said that Christoph Cresp is off the lead lap, that car's now been handed to Fabian Leverne, according to our uh, timing screen. So it's already had one pit stop. They've done a driver change. And Leverne in for a little while now, but I'm just trying to tell from the time's coming in, I think that car is just about on the lead lap and is being permitted to catch up with the safety car train so you never know, let's not discount MV2S, it's going to go well now with Laverne at the wheel, no doubt about that but of course it's first driver Christoph Kress will need to be put back in again because he's done nothing like the required minimum drive time which is 50 minutes Bodywork off the back of Michael Jensen's car. Check over all around. Now, on a replay, well, there was a car up the inside, which quite possibly was a Nielsen Racing entry, and I think presented to the outside and rather too late to turn into the corner. Very unfortunately for Michael Jensen. Still can't get as to why he couldn't get the engine fired up. It stalled and wouldn't restart. But again, they're taking the opportunity to check it square all the way around after that moment into the gravel. Yeah, so that may well have been Rob Hodes in the 10. Um, what we can't tell you is whether the two cars tangled just before uh, entering our frame and then the five car exited stage left into the gravel. Uh, the good news is there's been no message on the screen to say that an incident, for example, involving car 10 and 5 is being investigated. So may well have just been an honest mistake from uh, Michael Jensen. So that car's going to stay in the pits for a little while two laps down now so there's no major urgency in getting it back in the race but Nick Hadcock I'm sure would want a bit of time behind the wheel um, to get his well ideally his full stint in they're checking now in the front right uh, wheel arch for something but don't entirely look like they know what they're looking for so maybe it's just a complaint from the driver and now they're trying to assess exactly what might have gone wrong well, I mean, we don't know if, if there was any contact between the two cars, but if there was any, it would have been either on the rear or on the right-hand flank from the driver's point of view, so well worth checking it out. Right, we know already the identity of the champion in the, in the GT3 class. It's the driver of the Iron Lynx Ferrari. We've got someone possible. Was that with a puncture? One of the United Autosports cars off at the side of the circuit there. Daniel Schneider, presumably, because he's yeah. running around just ahead of the GT3 runners. 
Um, it's been attention or well I, I slightly was concerned he might have picked up a puncture and was just trying to pull wide off the circuit but I think he was just a little bit wide off the circuit full stop but what we want behind the safety car is for everybody to be running close together we know the restart is going to be coming fairly soon and it's really galling for a driver if those up ahead you cannot overtake them but they're just not keeping up with those in front so yeah. uh, a general urging for everybody to keep going and the answer to your question about um the M2VS car, Fabian Laverne, there it is at the tail of the grouping, so he didn't fall off the lead lap with that driver change from Christoph Kress. Uh, Marshall's still out on track in the gravel trap at 10 and 11, and what are they looking at? Maybe the gravel that's been brought onto the runoff area, which they want to be swept. I don't think there are any of those pesky drain covers causing difficulties at that part of the circuit, but that's already... That brought free practice two early this morning to a halt. They had to red flag it because of a loose drain cover down at turn one, which needed to be glued or cemented back into place. And then later on in the day today, uh, the same problem at turns seven and eight. But the marshal's obviously not too happy with that situation. A lot of gravel on the track and some of it as well on the grass creek where cars naturally run wide on the exit of turn 11. Yeah, the two marshals went to look at it. One ran back to the marshals' post, and I think I spotted him then sprinting back towards the boy with the broom. Yes, getting quickly because it's it's a corner you cannot see the exit. You can't even see the track when yep. you get to the exit. It drops away so steeply, and it's more than easy to run a little bit wide. And the last thing we want is someone rotating on that gravel, coming back across the track, snapping to drivers right when everyone else, you're sort of really committed to your line. Down in the world of CD Sport, did see another driver walking towards the car, whether that's Nick Adcock waiting to take it over or whether it's the first driver, Michael Jensen, staying, uh, having got out of the car, going back across. They're not in a hurry. They will go back out in the race, but any hope of points, it's uh, being extinguished at the point of going off the circuit, let alone having to wait all these laps to be removed from the gravel, then back into the pit lane. But I'm sure that car will rejoin. We've got... Uh, the clock counting down, effectively 15 minutes to two hours have run. The safety car is still at the front, but until those marshals between turns 10 and 11 uh, have uh, withdrawn to safety, a point of safety behind the concrete wall, we will not re be restarting this race. But as soon as they are, we will. Yeah, and some of that will be the instruction of Eduardo Freitas and his team as well, just not happy to start proceedings once again. Very easy to pick up a puncture from... Uh, what looked like quite small stones from the gravel trap, but uh, you know, there's a decent handful there, and a lot of them are sharp on the edge as well, and could easily cut a tyre when you are leaning on it coming out of 11. The next thing you'll know about is probably 315 when the tyre lets go, and that's a massive accident then. Uh, as you were talking about Paul Petit a couple of years ago, ending up in the pit lane entry backwards into the tyre barrier that uh, separates the racetrack from pit road. Um, so look to try and avoid anything like that. The safety car is going to come in this lap, though, and that message just appearing in front of our eyes. So they've done a very good job and a speedy one at that. We'll be back racing very shortly. Now, a really important thing for DKR Engineering, Wolfgang Triller driving at the moment. He's ninth. He needs to keep up with those cars ahead. Yeah, so Molini leading from Rory Penton and Moritz Krantz. That's exactly the order they qualified in. Let's hear from DKR Engineering. I'm joined here by Lawrence, her driver for DKR Engineering, car number three. Now, probably not the final, how you'd like things to have spanned out, the final stop of this uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup, because you're obviously without Jean Glorieux. Firstly, how's he doing and how come he's not here today? Uh, unfortunately, uh, he's uh, not here because, as far as I know, his wife is ill. 
and he has to take care of the children. And obviously it's a bit of a tricky situation, so nobody can help him at the moment with the COVID. He does have a replacement in Wolfgang Triller. Thank you very much. Thank you. So okay. we'll, leave, we'll leave it there as far as DKR is concerned because we're back to racing. That was part of the reason why the interview had to be briefly stopped because uh, Thring their way across the line and what a great sound they made. Nicola Molini for Cool Racing leading in the Ligier. It's another Ligier second, Rory Pentadon. And then the best of the Duquesnes with the slightly larger headlights. Car 21, blue and white for Moritz Kranz. Then the sister car of Cool Racing for Maurice Smith. Alexander Matchell under, again, not really heavy pressure from Miguel uh, Christoval. And Tony Wells and Patrice Lafargue complete the top eight. So not getting a rejoin there from Michael Jensen as yet. The car being pushed up the pit lane. Nicola Molini, he lost an advantage of 2.2 seconds under the safety car. It came right down. He's leading again, but pulling away again from Rory Penton. And Penton's got his hands full in second place, attacking, being attacked by Morris Krantz in the world of GT3. It's Iron Links from Kessel Racing. 74 is the Kessel Racing in second place. Michel Bronicheski chasing after Reno Mastronardi. And they've got Fabian Laverne trying to interrupt their fun because the number 27 in shot there. MV2S Racing picks him off, gives advantage to Rina Mastronardi. He will pass Mastronardi shortly. At that point, Bonachevsky and Loic Villa will be trying their best to close in. But at the moment, it's advantage Mastronardi with the, that car as a buffer, a short-term buffer between him and the rest of the GT3 runners. Daniel Schneider was uh, a touch wide coming out of turn 14 there. You had a short straight before they knew really attack 15, which goes on and on, and you have to really hang on to the car, make sure that you don't breach track limits on the exit of turn 15. The corners renumbered when you compare this year's track map to last, and they make slightly more sense in my eyes as well. As the battle continues on between 5th and 6th, Matchell versus Christoval, a local boy from, uh, well, not Portimao, but uh, a couple of hours drive, drive north from Lisbon, and really pressurising the bright green and yellow Rinaldi racing entry. You can really sense every time I've seen Miguel Christoval on track of this, his debut at this level of the championship, he seems to be really, really relishing these cars, trying to adapt his driving style to suit them. But, you know, he has attack written across every lap he's out on the circuit. It's really good to see. And we've seen him early in the race out breaking himself a little bit down into turn two and turn three. Well, mainly turn three where you have to break more heavily for the, double, the sharp right-hander. But he's certainly got a lot of pressure on Alexander Matchell. Matchell enjoying also his elevation to these cars. But uh, in terms of experience, Christoval a bit short. Not that it's showing. He's really going for it. And down at the back of the pack, we've got uh, moves going on because very quickly, Fabian Laverne has caught and passed Daniel Schneider. He's done well. He picked off the GT3 runners. Now he's got the serious job. So this car that had a little bit of a, a moment in the first part of the race before the safety car is now being driven in the way that it really should be. And a very impressive run from Laverne there. Yeah, well, this team has deliberately decided to go off strategy they were on the back foot anyway because of a lockup from Christoph Kress the car was obviously not too happy so they came in did their two minute and five second stop which there's nothing in the regulation to say you can't do that nice and early get the driver change done 
The only thing now that Crest has to do is make sure he completes his 50 minutes and also they've got to do the extra stop because of the engine consumption in the final 20 minutes. So it's, it's a different way of doing it, but it can come good. And I've seen that happen in the history of this championship before. So let's wait and see. No doubt about the fact that the MV2S racing car is flying, though, in the hands of Frenchman Laverne. Yeah, I really think it was worth the roll of the dice. They weren't even quite in the points, they're just outside the points when it happened. They, this may, may be their way in, and I quite like it when someone decides to do something a little bit different. There had been a few little hiccups, so it was worth a shot. Up front, though, 1.6 seconds is the advantage. That's Julian Andlauer sitting down in the TFT racing Porsche garage, and uh, his co-driver, the team leader, Nicky Leutwiler hanging on to the tail of Michel Bronicheski who's less than a second down on Reno Mastronardi, the top three in the GT3 class, pulling clear of John Hartshorn by 10 seconds, but it really is a dogfight in this class, and TFT Racing have got two class wins so far in the six outings in this championship to date, and they desperately love to finish this season on a high with another win. So swinging their way through turn nine, they reached the highest point on the circuit at uh, 10 and 11 and then plunged downhill. But great to have three of the four GT3 cars entered into this race. Very close circles indeed. Hard onto the brakes to get through turn 13 for Reno Mastronardi, leading Michel Bronozewski in the in the red Ferrari, which just had a little bit of a squirrely moment from the rear there that he had to correct with a bit more steering input, some corrective, and then back in again to make sure he'd get the required turn in at 14. And the Porsche, watching it all unfold in front, just needs to stay in touch, really. And ideally overtake one, if not both of those Ferraris, but that is far easier said than done. Meanwhile, what about Fabian Laverne? He's found somebody else now to try and get by, and uh, to quick step with Jacques Wolf in the number six car, a touch wide through three. Surely Laverne can pick him off now on the run towards turn five. You'd really think so, certainly the attitude of Laverne is pass, 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 but every car he's stuck behind is allowing those up front to pull further clear but he's super positive down the well, Jack Wolf how did you not, not know he was behind you and then move across on him that wasn't really being very wide away but Fabian Levert great run he'll be enjoying this but he'll be getting a little bit frustrated every time he's slightly delayed but what I'm just noticing up at the front of the field Nicola Molini got 1.7 seconds clear down to 1.4 it's now down to 1.1 seconds because Rory Pentonen in second place as we look at the replay I'm through oh there you are hmm. let me move across on you no damage done I don't think there but Rory Penton has dropped Morris Krantz off his tail in the lead Duquesne. Now he's having a Lizier-Lizier battle. He's setting off after Nicola Morlini, who needs to win this race to have that tiniest glimmer of a hope of taking this title. The real outside bet, and of course all eyes on where is the championship leading car. DKR Engineering, Wolfgang Triller doing that first stint. We heard briefly from Lawrence Hall, then we heard the noise of the whole field coming past as he was... Uh, oh, we've got a spinner, but a rejoiner. That's... Uh, Dearie me, up Eden the bank Sport, and beyond. Possibly, 75. I'd go for that. Patrice Lafargue doing the opening stint. It's certainly got the look of an EDEC car. We will see the 28 in the European Le Mans series tomorrow as well. Yep. It was, and it is, and it's going back to the pits. Have we got a puncture? No, don't think so. I just thought the right-hand side of the car looked a little low, but, of course, that's the gradient that holds the cars through that final sweep. Been a good lap or two yes. for Reno Mastronardi, and we've had a change of position behind because now the Porsche Nicky Leutwiller are ahead of Michel Bronicheski, and now we could sense the speed was coming. Now, let's see. Can the Swiss racer head off after Mastronardi? But he's got to find two and a half seconds, so it's been a good few laps for the Italian. Yeah, and helped by that battle behind, which involved an overtake, as you said. Now, whether that was a mistake from Bronicheski that uh, Leutwiller had to 
react to or whether it was an overtake that uh, Nicky fashioned himself but the two car up to second and now let's see whether Nicky can start to catch Reno Mastronardi who as you say is a couple of seconds clear in the lead of the race right I'm going to throw something in from the side field what you get for eighth place is four points and that is now after promotion DKR engineering Wolfgang Triller up to fourth up to eighth place for those four points but we've got Fabian Laverne as the spoiler coming up through the pack mm. he at this rate will be up ahead of him pushing him back down to just the two points for ninth place one point for tenth so it's all very touch and go because heading for the 25 points at this stage in the race with young Edward Cowhall to take over is Nicola Morlini and you know what Nicola has responded to Rory Pentonen's attack it got down to 1.1 seconds it's gone out to two seconds flat fastest lap of the race and what do you do if you're the TV director keep your camera on Nick on uh, Fabian Laverne another yeah. place gained from him he'll be in the top 10 he is in the top 10 that was him getting ahead of John Schaumann a few moments ago into turn 10 and gets him 10th place as Bruce says now only 7 tenths of a second away is Eric Dodonka there's going to be a drive-through penalty though assessed to car 12 which is the team Virage entry is it not for overtaking beyond the track limits at the first corner and that happened at the start of the race ah yes I remember Virage going wide haven't realised there was a place being gained though at the time that's been reviewed and as a result a drive-through penalty will not only rectify that but put them a long way back because of the safety car we've recently had well bad bad news unfortunately for Miguel Cristoval we think he's impressive but uh, taking a look at the restart it was through turn one was okay but it was running wide on the exit one presumes we saw it between one and, oh well it wasn't even <laughs> wasn't even on the run between one and two it was uh, coming out of turn one and he did gain a couple of places but you know once you've gone wide you might as well keep your foot in there but a drive-through penalty and black and white warning flag for Alexander Matchell for abusing track limits. So he's gone from a warning to uh, a further warning. And the next one, he will also be serving a drive-through penalty. So the team will be saying, stay between the lines. Yeah, but when you're defending from Miguel uh, Cristoval, that's a tough ask, certainly. You're trying to keep up the speed. So one car will definitely have to come in for a drive-through. That's the 12. The 55, therefore, although with a black and white flag to its name, We'll get a bit of respite for the first time in the race. And that also means that when the drive-through penalty is set, DKR Engineering will go from 8th up to 7th. Where's Fabian Laverne? He's the car, the driver of a car that should be able to demote that. He's up to 9th. His next target is the DKR Engineering car. He started the lap just a whisker down on it, 4 tenths of a second. And the rate he's been gaining just as a... As Wolfgang Triller goes up to seventh place when the drive-through is served by Team Virage, he'll be put back down again as Fabian Laverne keeps on his charge. Up front, though, 2.6 seconds. Morlini has settled into a pace that's better than any of his rivals can manage. Rory Pentonen in second place. Car number 26 for Graf, 2.6 seconds down. And in fact, a, a renewed attack coming from behind. Uh, suddenly, Moritz Krantz has put a few slightly slower laps behind him and is closing in. And DKR Engineering are being passed just there. Fabian Laverne, it's not just he likes turn five. He seems to like any place you could overtake. He's picking off cars at will. Great run from Laverne. Yeah, so getting ahead, as you say, of the car that currently leads the championship. Um, what will that mean? going forward for DKR Engineering Laverne as high as 8th now after that early stop to get Christoph Cresp out of the MV2S racing car and Fabian Laverne in as he works his way further up the order we haven't yet seen all of Christoph Cresp's um, 
presence on this race. He's only, he's only really done about five minutes, so we need to get him in for certainly a three quarters of an hour or so. Uh, the incident involving car five at the start of the race. Now, was that the gravelly moment for Michael Jensen? 2.53, there's only three minutes into the race. They're looking at yeah. something that happened then. You reckon that tallies? Uh, absolutely so, because okay. uh, the safety car was out when we hadn't even got ten minutes on the board. So, fine. you know, you can delay the arrival of that by a short bit. But, uh, no, absolutely spot on. Right, our race leader three seconds clear. Now, having a look at Wolfgang Triller, number three in ninth place. He's got Eric Dodonka having a, a really good run at him from behind. The bright orange nose. Then there's a little bit gap back to 10th place, Motorsport 98. We've got uh, Team Virage in the pits, serving its drive-through penalty. And a challenge for 10th and 11th place is United Autosports. John Shaman getting very close to Rob Hodes. And if there's a slip-up, there's someone waiting right behind them as well. Jack Wolf for CD Sport trying to make his way up. Rinaldi Racing, Steve Parrow getting in. So this is what the drivers love. They love this circuit. They love these P3 cars. And they love having a really, really good scrap. And it's a circuit that does have places you can pass. Makes it better still. Yeah, and yeah, a real spectacle to watch a car in isolation go round this place. But as you said, when it generates side-by-side -side racing, several points on the same lap, uh, a delight to watch a, an endurance race around here. This is just the, the starter of the weekend, if you like. A couple of hours of Michelin Le Mans Cup action, and the European Le Mans Series finale happens tomorrow, 11 o'clock local time for the start, through till 3 o'clock. And temperatures expected to be in a similar rate range, actually. Late 20s, early 30s, no rain on the right radar whatsoever. I know they are famous last words, <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the whole of the week looks clear in terms of weather, which is great this time of year. So half an hour done of a two-hour race, and Nicola Molini leading by three and a half seconds as we head back to the pits and Hayley Edmonds for this update. So I'm back down here with Lawrence Hill. Our last interview was caught short because the um, action restarted on the race. Now, just with regard to Laurent Gloria being replaced by Wolfgang Triller, who's currently out there. I mean, are you confident, you know, that he can continue the pace and potentially help you? Uh, championship, sorry, I know you can't hear me very well. Unfortunately, I didn't hear a lot, but uh, <laughs> Wolfgang, Wolfgang is doing good out there. And... Um, yeah, at the moment we are just fighting around out there. It's it's not too easy for us, but uh, Wolfgang is doing a good pace, and uh, we will do everything to win this championship. Thank you very much. More drama now out on track with a spin for the number two TFT Porsche, and that was the one challenging Rene Mastronardi, although Mastronardi was responding well with a couple of fastest laps within his class, virtually back-to-back, -back, and the two-car now stranded on the runoff area at turn 14. If that car stalled, Nicky Leutvila struggling to get the engine going again, it could be another safety car. But at that point, I look at the timing screens and just say, remember this, three and a half seconds was the advantage for our race leader, Nicola Molini, over Rory Penton, and it could get closed up. Fabian Laverne has banged in almost the fastest lap of the race, just a whisker off the best by Molini. He's picked his way up to seventh place from the tail of the pack. His next target, three seconds up the track, but lapping two and a bit seconds slower. So at Tony Wells is maybe on borrowed, to borrowed time in sixth place and by the way no further action for the incident involving car number five Johnny mentioned that that was the CD Sport uh, Michael Jensen car ended up in the gravel up there at the top of the hill in turn 11 but uh, that is good no further action for that and uh, still fierce battling the Porsche going all over again the battle for second place Rory Pentonant Maurice Krantz 
Krantz seems to have quick laps and then some slower laps, but uh, right now, just about got past the Porsche without too much trouble. But Johnny, whenever you get the situation when you've got a P3 car at one point on the track, you automatically think it will always be quicker than the GT car. Not always the case, is it? Certainly not. Um, yeah, and, and it's about knowing who is in the car at any one point to, to judge your pace against maybe a bronze-rated driver who is getting more and more used to a prototype. And then when you get the quick guys into the GTs, you do get that um, overlapping between the two classes. Uh, a common thing. Pressure really being applied here by Moritz Kratz, who's right on the boot lid of Rory Pentonen. This is for second and third as they get to the little uh, the shelf across the top then between 13 and 14. Big wiggle from Moritz Kratz there as he momentarily lost downforce as the cars rely more so on their mechanical grip rather than the uh, invisible hand pushing them onto the road surface. And then they work their way through 15. So this is playing very nicely into the hands of Nicola Molini, who's obviously got the measure of Rory Pentonen and leaving the Finn to have to deal with Moritz Kratz, who is providing more than a distraction in third place. But those, anyone in the top three has to be heading for a good helping of points because the car that's in fourth place, the Rinaldi Racing entry of Alexander Matchley, is 15 seconds in arrears. That's astonishing. It wasn't that long ago we had the safety car with the field bunched up. But uh, for Moritz Kratz, his best finish so far this year was a fourth place in the opening round of the championship at Paul Ricard but uh, since then uh, his best has been a ninth he's now got Alex Capadia joining him for a second weekend running and that's a very strong teammate to have so this could be their best result of the season and it could even be second place could be first that's true the, uh, the Porsche by the way that was having a moment on the exit of 14 is back in the race just caught a glimpse of that behind these two cars uh, but the number two Porsche has lost a lap as a result of that Although that's on the leaders, isn't it? So it's only 12 seconds away from John Hartzorn. If I'm reading that correctly. I'd expect Nicky Lo expected Nicky Lloydville to have maybe lost more time than that. But he obviously fired the car back into life. Very different lines coming out of 11. And that was Moritz Kranz trying to find an outside line. It would be brave, though, to overtake around the outside of 13. I'm not sure I've ever seen that done, but it doesn't mean it can't be possible. And now he's trying to fashion himself the inside line into 14. Krantz just looks slightly quicker than Pentonen in this phase of the race. Yeah, Pentonen was lucky to hold that, ran wide over the crest at turn 11. You can see him just trying to wait to find some traction as he went into the compression. But unfortunately, if you're only presented with the outside line, more by luck than judgment, one would say. Uh, but Rory Pentonen holds on. But the gap to the leader is now 7.2 seconds. That's been almost doubled in the space of one lap. Our race leader did a 1 minute 38.5, and the next two in second and third, 1 minute 40.5. So again, two seconds. That advantage, he can open it out at will, but that was that lap was a bit of a gift for him. And all along, Alexander Matchell, as we said, about 15 seconds down. But Fabian Laverne has picked off Tony Wells. He's up into sixth place overall. His next target is Maurice Smith. He's just a second down on him. So Laverne having just... A wonderful day. Alex Capadia down in the pit lane watching on, really urging the Mullness Motorsport car with Moritz Kratz on board to get up past Rory Pentonen. Coming up to uh, John Hartshorn, he keeps out of their way. Was there a little bit of a gain? Yes, for the chasing car. Number 21, Moritz Kratz said, thank you very much. Right, I'm on the tail of you now, Rory Pentonen. Where are you going to get loose next? Yeah, I did think the Ferrari they were catching might provide more of an opportunity than it did. John actually very gentlemanly in pulling off the racing line and allowing both through in one move. But you're right, the 21 car got marginally closer. So Alex Capadia expected into the Mulder Motorsport Duquesne for the second part of the race. And remember, these cars can pit in the next 15 minutes.
but we don't want them to do that just yet because this is such an enjoyable battle to witness. And latest warning on the screen, black and white flag for driver of car 26. That's driver in second place. It's Rory Penton and the team will be saying, right, do not run wide. There are certain corners on the circuit in particular when cars are tending to do that. And now... Car 55, abusing track limits, driver of that's Rinaldi Racing, it's the driver in fourth place, Alexander Matchell, so the driver in second, the driver in fourth, have got to be on their best behaviour. Half a gap was all it took for Fabian Laveau, big sharp intake of breath from both of us, Johnny, but to actually full marks to, to, to uh, Maurice Smith for just uh, getting out of the way in that. Yeah, had to do similar to what Jack Wolf did earlier on and think, blimey, this guy is not hanging around. I'll, I'll open the door for you because you're just going to provide me with no peace uh, and potential for contact as well. So better to let a quicker car in this phase of the race go. And then, of course, when Christoph Kresp gets into it, no disrespect, but he won't be able to pedal as quite as quickly as Fabian Laverne, who, remember, came through the GT ranks with uh, the Ferrari team a couple of years ago. Lucic racing, wasn't it? Uh, as the sort of super silver and has taken to prototype racing like a Dr. Walter as well. Uh, it's not more concerned about the 55 car. Yes, that's been confirmed now as a drive-through penalty. He'd been reported to the stewards for breaching track limits and that normally um, precedes a more serious message from race control to say that car's going to have to come in and drive through the pit lane. Yes, it's not the occasional, it's the, it's the wording, the constant abuse of track limits. And at the moment, uh, Matchell has got but he's three and a bit seconds up the track. In fact, he's been running on his own for a large number of laps, adrift by 14, 15, now 16 seconds from that battle for second place between Penton and Krantz. And uh, he was uh, comfortably ahead of Maurice Smith, but now he's got a much quicker target as Fabian Laverne is homing in in a car that has been like a heat-seeking missile in this race. It's uh, trained on those at the front. Again, replay of the action. Very, very busy down in the heat of the action. Steve Parrow in the second of the Ronaldo racing cars. Just as thought, well, he's being ganged up on by the yes, United Autosport duo. Yeah, so uh, being overtaken by Daniel Schneider and John Sharman also in the queue. And also a couple of moments ago, up the inside went the number six car, which is the Jack Wolf machine on Daniel Schneider. And there was an off-track moment for Maurice Smith. Didn't catch this at the time, but he's fallen back to sixth position as a result of that. Now, I think Fabian Laverne had already got past him, so it can't have been contact with Fabian. Uh, but maybe just uh, being sent offline briefly to allow that car number 27 through. That meant he was out in the marbles and then struggled at the next corner. Tricky to tell. Absolutely tricky to tell. I want to see where he comes through at the end of the lap because Wolfgang Triller and Tony Wells are more to the points. Tony Wells and Wolfgang Triller in the correct order. They're running at the moment in seventh and eighth. Will that have moved them up ahead of uh, Maurice up into sixth and seventh? So for the championship leading crew, it could be another couple of points and they'll be grabbing everything they can get at DKR Engineering. No, Smith's still good for sixth place. Okay. Just gone through the split now, but Tony's five seconds or so behind. Maurice Smith could still be recovering, so needs to get a wiggle on. Speaking of wiggles, there was a big one there in the Mulder Motorsport car for Moritz Krantz. That's not the first time that car has shown just how hard it's being driven. There's now a black and white flag, though, for Fabian Laverne now for abusing track limits. Well, he's using every little bit of track available to him and sometimes too much to get by all of these cars. That's what put it, what's put him into fifth place. Well, could be, but if he picks up another warning, he'll be ch the car he's chasing is due a drive-through penalty. He could be following it in and out of the pit lane as well so message to Fabian Laverne brilliant job done wonderfully to come up from the back of the field don't blow all that good work so Moritz Krantz possibly starting to run short of ideas to get by Rory Pentonen uh, no doubt about the 
extra speed that I feel the Mulner Motorsport Duquesne is carrying. But if you can't get by the graph car, it might all come to nothing. Alex Capadia, who will be installed into the 21, still obviously eagerly spectating to see where the car in the order will be when he has to take charge of it. Certainly they're pushing this set of Michelin tyres to the ragged edge as well as they head out of turn five in Pentagon, elbows out, still driving defensively, but perfect within, perfectly within his rights to be able to do that and not put a wheel wrong so far. Well, the driver who really hasn't put a wheel wrong is our race leader, Nicola Molini. He's now 10 seconds the good. He just banged in the fastest lap of the race. Alexander Matchell has just served that drive-through penalty, so Ooh. he's no longer in fourth. He's, in, he's got a one in front. He's 14th unfortunately for him and don't forget that promotes Fabian Laverne up into fourth place but he's almost got the sword of Damocles he's got one more well no he's had his final warning the next one will be a drive-through but it also means DKR Engineering the championship leading duo Wolfgang Triller come on board this weekend in place of Jean Gloria and he is up into seventh place lovely haul of points coming his way if he's anywhere above 10th, it's pretty much his. All Nicola Molini can do is continue to lead the race and has every hope that Edward Cowhaup, his teenage friend teammate, uh, can do the job. And we know he can. Look at their last five races. First, second, second, first, second. Yeah. And heading for first here. A run, if they hadn't tripped up in the first round and got a no score, yes. it could be their title. But that's where we are here at the final round. Yeah, it's been sublime consistency from DKR Engineering. Matthias Kaiser down in the garage there with Graf, watching his teammate Rory Pentonen as nearly the Mulder Motorsport car spins off the road. So, so much power that uh, Moritz Krantz is applying coming out of turn three. The other thing I think I saw was the 55 as it rejoined with its left side wheels right on the blend line. It depends how cruel the stewards are feeling, because technically that line was crossed, but it was uh, it was Michelin tyres right along the white line. So let's wait and see. Don't want to speak too soon as far as that's concerned, because Matchell has already had to come in to serve a penalty, and that's put him down to 14th position. Again, overtaking it down to the first corner, and it's just great on this circuit. That's the, a battle between Nielsen Racing. Is that, no, it's not. It's United Autosports, so the best place to go is John Sharman. But that run down to turn one, it provides so many opportunities. Overtaking, relatively rare, but you've got half a chance. And if the car in front runs a little bit wide, you go through the kink at turn two and you're on the right side of the circuit going into the hairpin at turn three. And uh, again, whenever you get a garage camera and you see the driver who's due to take over, you see their head in their hands, they're alternating between delight as their co-driver's doing a good job and their despair or, or concern as things go on. And uh, they don't, they're not aware they do it. They're looking at the timing screens and the monitors like we are, but yeah. they're living, you know, will I get to take over a car to go for a podium or will I just have to placate my teammate who's got it very wrong and stuck it off into the gravel? But so far, so good for Mulner Motorsport because certainly Morris Kratz continues to attack. But Rory Pentonen has been soaking this up you pointed out John he's had a couple of twitchy old moments but he's sort of got it together now the twitchy moments are coming from Moritz Kratz I sort of sense a bit of desperation but certainly I've got to make my mark I've got to get through but you're heading for your best result of the year so just put that in to temper the equation yes and with Alex Capaldi to come you need to you know, give, give Alex a good foundation to continue on at roughly halfway in the race but yeah the drag race coming out of turn three is fabulous to watch with Moritz Kratz on more than one occasion at 45 degrees to the, the desired direction of travel as they now head along the short straight between four and five and begin the ascent there's still absolutely nose to tail by the way Pentamon just ahead 
of Moritz Kranz for second and third. Meanwhile, a flood of cars headed by Jacques Wolf arriving at turn one. So Rob Hodes is in this queue, along with Steve Parrow, John Schaumann, and a recovering Alexander Matchell at the back in the green and yellow car. Yeah, Matchell should be able to catch them. Will he be able to get past them? They're very busy. They're occupying a lot of track. One thing we haven't really talked about for a while is uh, the pace of Reno Mastronardi. He's 17th overall, but he's leading the GT3 class. But he's got 18 seconds over Michel Bonacheski. Nicky Loitvilla has caught and passed John Hartshorn after Loitvilla spun the Porsche. He's up to third in class, but he's, oh, he's 45 seconds down on Bonacheski. So in terms... Rino Mastronardi already has the title in the bag. His teammate Giacomo Piccini is second on points. They will end this championship first and second on points because the outside hopes were Bonacheschi, Bonacheschi and um, Leutwiller, but uh, right now they have to take victory to uh, even close the gap appreciably. It really is Mastronardi's year. Very good final sector at the end of the previous lap from Rory Pentonen, so just edged a little bit more of a gap back to Moritz Kratz. I wonder whether Moritz is feeling the ill effects of uh, those Michelin tyres that were pushed very hard in the early phase of the stint. They've only got five minutes or so to go if they want to pit at the earliest opportunity. We are yeah, seven seconds away from the 46-minute marker, so four more minutes to go before we'll see probably a flood of pit stops for the LMP3s. Steve Parrow, having ridden the storm, actually, compared to at least one of the two United Autosports cars. Yes, that's dropped back now, hasn't it, the John Sharman car? But Rob Hodes was able to get ahead of Sparrow for Rinaldi Racing. And Rob Hodes then now started to pressurise Jacques Wolf for that 10th place. Yeah, and just in the background of the shot, you can see the yellow and green livery on the black bodywork of Alexander Batchel's Rinaldi Racing entry. He is now moved up ahead of John Schaumann and his next target, his own teammate, Steve Parrow. Got a great lap from Reno Mastronardi in the GT3 leading Ferrari. He's just done a 122 point uh, 6.49 which represents the best GT3 lap of the race something like the third or fourth time he's done that now so finding speed all the time and uh, just over 20 seconds now the margin back to Michel Gronoszewski it's uh, about 40 odd seconds back to a recovering Nicky Leutwiler in the Porsche so there's the evidence that he did lose a lot of time at turn 14 in the spin just finally treated, we haven't seen uh, our race leader for a while, Nicola Morlini we catch at the moment in which he's trying to emulate uh, the great rally stars, the pass, getting the tail out loose, that was down coming out of turn 3, managed to hold on to it but every lap he's been eking his advantage, 11.6 seconds last time around, or abusing track limits who's latest, it's car number 10 the driver is Rob Hodes We've seen him in that battle with, with uh, Jack Wolf, and uh, clearly another person being watched. There is nowhere to hide out on the circuit. There's nowhere to hide for Rory Pentonen. He's just being harried, harried, harried by the Mulder Motorsport Duquesne with Moritz Kratz having just the, his best race of the year. But one really does feel he has been hammering those tyres, trying desperately to find an advantage. Rory Pentonen is trying to stay as smooth as possible seems to be paying off for now but you're quite right Johnny we're getting towards the end of the stints the co-drivers are getting their helmets on getting ready that dreadfully nervous moment before you get your turn in the car however long you've been racing if you don't feel the nerves then you know you're not going to be exactly at your very best are you when you get out there so Fabian Laverne up to fourth position now still trying to chase down these two and you have to think that these two won't be going as fast as they might be in clear air on their own so that in turn will be holding both Pentonen and Krantz up but uh, 
Well, of course, Levert could stay out for a little bit longer as well. The minimum drive time applies to either one, either of the drivers in the combination as Nicola Molini's just done the fastest lap of the race. Great effort this late on in the stint. The car's nice and light now as far as the fuel's concerned and a 137.880 is faster than even Levert. Yeah, I think Laverne has possibly plattered. I think he certainly worked his tyres very, very hard indeed. But, you know, a remarkable job from the tail of the field to get up to fourth place. In fact, the top first car was lapping exactly paces, the same pace as the next three, which was Penton and Krantz and Laverne. But then Molini got a bit bored. We saw how hard he was trying. That tail getting kicked out, was it two laps ago, coming out of turn three? But uh, 137.8, it's not good enough. Why can I say that? Because he's going faster still on this lap. First sector, fastest of anybody. And so he really is laying it down. But he knows every fraction of a second he could gain could be important. Because, of course, they're the outside championship hope. Down in the pit lane, it's getting very busy. But the championship leading car with Wolfgang Triller is in seventh place. If it stays there, if Molini and his teammate... Edward Cohart win for Cool Racing. It will not be enough. No. Oh, this might be an opportunity finally for Moritz Kratz to get ahead of Rory Penton and ahead of the stops because off the road goes the 74 Ferrari of Michel Bronaszewski. That's second in GT3. And again, very gentlemanly, actually, to provide the space. I think he could tell the heat from this battle. Uh, didn't want to get involved with it and just drove off the road in the end to allow Penton and through. Uh, by the time they get to the end of this lap and the pit lane entry, they could dive in and then this will automatically turn into a, a race on pit road, albeit, of course, these cars are restricted to time-limited stops. Happy for more, though. They're going to stay out, Rory Penton and Moritz Kranz, second and third overall. And indeed, that lap completed by race leader Nicola Morlini. He's 14.774 seconds the good. New fastest lap of the race, a tenth of a second, almost better than his one before. Consistent, super, super fast, Morlini. Cool driver in a cool racing car. One of the two cool racing cars, a sister car, somewhat further down the order. Morris Smith had that little moment, but still good enough for six, uh, fifth place at the moment. He's way down on Fabian Laverne, but equally seven seconds clear of a charge from behind it now, Mulder Motorsport going down the inside, Morris Kratz has been there waiting, how many laps have they done? 28, he's been waiting 27 laps to do that. Yep, but a great overtake in the end, a little bit of give and take required from Rory Pentonen, last thing he wants is a damaged race car, so gave him the racing room, uh, but pinched him down to the apex at the same time, and Moritz Kratz finally getting ahead, and Alex Capardia will be leaping with joy, I'm sure, down in the pit lane, he's moments away from taking over the 21. Yeah, we've now got four cars in the pit lane. We've got Cool Racing, uh, Morris Smith has come in, Tony Wells, and look at the replay. He's been he's been almost as close to that many, many times. Rory Penton maybe slightly napping, maybe starting to think about the pit stops coming up. But uh, once he saw that uh, Kranz was coming down the inside, he just did not turn into the corner, thought, let's not have contact. So Matt Bell just taking over from Morris Smith, and in fact, it's really the top four runners didn't come in, and those behind pretty much all have. So it's Nicola Molini leading by 15.6 seconds from Moritz Kranz. Rory Penton now down into third place, and then 17 seconds further back, Fabian Levert. Yeah, his performance is uh, very much plateaued, a good plateau, but he had got it from the tail of the field up to fourth place. Now you'll spot that these pit stops aren't being done that hurriedly because the tyres will be changed, a splash of fuel to go in as well and then it's just a matter of waiting for the time to tick by once you've installed your new driver, you have to be careful not to breach the 2 minute and 5 second uh, pit lane minimum pit stop time so as long as everyone is kind of 
very well re rehearsed and all of the jobs of the various mechanics are carried out then you should have a bit of spare time at the end just to watch the car look at the car maybe uh, clean the windscreen very minor jobs like that and then send it the tricky thing is then knowing how long it takes your car to move from your pit, pit bay to the end of the pit lane and it's very easy to cut short the pit stop by just a tenth of a second and that was all it would take uh, to have to come back in again to do a drive-through and another thing you can do at the pit stop to muck things up is do what Jack Wolf potentially has done, which is speed in the pit lane. He's under investigation. That CD Sport has been a real up-and-down race uh, for the crew because, of course, uh, Michael Jensen has yet to go out. We saw the car being pushed away. We thought it would come out to play in the, Michael Jensen in the second part of the race, but uh, it has not, so there may have been an electrical problem as well. Car 27 reported for constant abuse of track limits. That's uh, Fabian Laverne. That's still on the screen, but our race leader... Diving into the pits, Nicola Morlini. His season is over. He's now got to rely on his teammate, Edward Cowhaup, taking a third win for them this year in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. And just hope all they can do is win this race and hope and pray in the nicest way possible that DKR Engineering don't continue in seventh place because if they do that to the finish, the title is most definitely theirs. Fabien Laverne heading through the final corner, deciding not to pit just yet. I did expect him to stay out for a touch longer. Remember, you've still got to see, we've still got to see Christoph Kresp at the wheel of uh, the, this car for 50 minutes. But it is going to have to make another pit stop. And this is because of the abuse, constant abuse of track limits. We did warn Fabien Laverne that he was being watched. There was a black and white flag initially. And now that has jumped to a drive through penalty. So all the hard work from Fabien Laverne, some great over takes during the stint as well it's been splendid to watch but it's effectively going to come to nothing that's always the dividing line isn't it but uh, if you said I did it once I was unlucky but it's constant that's the word they have to remember they have had warnings as well it doesn't just come at the first time you do it you get a series of warnings increasingly serious inc increasingly clear Right now, down at Cool Racing in the pits, as Morris Krantz continues in the lead of the race in the Milner Motorsport Duquesne, will be coming in very soon for that pit stop, but uh, it's looking all cool, calm and collected. Nicola Molini has had his run, it's now the turn of the teenage star, Edward Kauhaup, to see if he can take it over and go on to their third win. Through the final corner, turn 15, comes Moritz Kratz. Will he decide to pit at this point? No, because he's got open road in front of him and uh, stays there in the race lead there. That'll be 31 laps ticked off. And Alex Capardia just needs to make sure he's behind the wheel of that car for the 50 minutes. So, uh, clearly, very happy out front and one of the fastest cars on, on the racetrack currently two Duquesnes in the top three when you include Alexander Matchell then in the 55 but that car is the best part of a minute away from the current race leader as Fabian Laverne comes in I think this well did they do the drive through first and then the driver change or the other way around he'll only have a set number of laps of course to serve the drive through penalties normally three from memory maybe get that out of the way first and then do the driver change we'll, we'll find out just as soon as uh, that car re-emerges and we can time the stop meanwhile the earlier race leader number 37 has made its, uh, its first stop of a couple and rejoins in fifth place and that was the drive-through for Fabian Laverne so MV2S will probably come back in again next time around to do their mandatory stop Let's hear from Nicola Molini, former race leader with Hayley Edmonds. 
I'm joined here by Nicola Molini, driver of car number 37 for Cool Racing. Nicola, you did a fantastic job of holding that first position after getting pole. Tell us about how your stint went. The pole position was the goal because if we miss the pole, the championship is over before the start of the race. We did the job and now we have a 10 or 15 seconds of gap from the second place. But we don't have the, cho the choice, it's not in your hands. We have to wait in which position the DKR car will finish. And that's right, because Edouard is now in Edouard's hands to hold that top position. And potentially if DKR don't hold on, if they get less than seventh, you might win a championship. I mean, you're going to be watching it. What's going through your head right now? What are you really aiming for here? Sorry, I did not understand everything, but yeah, the DKR car is now seventh or so, it's not enough. Edouard must stay in lead, and after, we cross the finger and see what happened for DKR. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, there'll be thoughts definitely racing through Nicola Molini's uh, head. He's a real talent in himself. You know, he's the bronze of the two, but a former Swiss Formula Renault champion and has been in the ELMS since 2018. So I wonder whether there's a slight drama down here at Mulder Motorsport. They need to wheel the car back down the pit lane because perhaps, presumably, uh, Moritz Krantz missed the pit box. So the team were launched into action just to wheel that car so that it was within the reach of the fuel uh, hose. And now that nozzle has been connected. So uh, it, it shouldn't actually, well, in the grand scheme of things, affect anything because they're, they're doing it within an envelope of two minutes and five seconds. And I think they should still be able to meet that. It's always interesting when you get the second crop of drivers uh, climbing on board. And uh, Alessandro Giretti, 19-year-old, sorry, 18-year-old Italian, got in and just banged in the fastest lap of the race on his first flying lap. He's been racing Formula 4 in the German series, a bit of Formula 3 in Asia over the winter. That has since been superseded, first by Matt Bell uh, for Cool Racing, the car he took over from Maurice Smith. Just look, taking a look at a, a replay on the screen again. Drivers running very, very wide out of turn 11. Certainly scary. And now the new fastest lap of the race, Motorsport 98. Dino Lenardi took over from Eric de Donka. He's down in 10th place. That will rise up a little bit once everybody's served their pit stops. And more to the point, people like uh, Fabian Laverne have served the drive-through penalty. But suddenly seeing laps low 1 minute 37s going faster and faster. Don't forget they're fueled to do half the race effectively. And uh, so these are quick times with a heavy fuel tank, but, of course, the advantage of fresh, fresh rubber. Well, that was uh, Edward Cohope running a touch wide out of 11, actually, so there's an idea of how hard he's pushing straight out of the blocks. Laverne's done his drive-through, I reckon. 28 seconds is point-to-point, uh, point in and out, so what they haven't done yet... Ooh, a bit clumsy here down at uh, Iron Links, trying to get the uh, tyre uh, gun around an open door and just about managed to do that. Well, it's sudden. It's not quite panic down at Iron Links, but getting a driver between the, the, the air gun and the wheel and yeah. uh, the door being open and the mechanic running around and clonking it, a little bit hurried, but they had a good advantage. It was a brilliant opening stint by Reno Mastronardi. Of course, it's going to be finished off by Piccini, but... Uh, didn't really need to do that. Well, no, but bear in mind, they've got to, they've got to soak oh, up an extra the, 29 seconds. Yes, of course so they have. That will very much equalise the field. 74, which is doing the chasing, only had to serve an extra 13 seconds. So that's a difference of 16, isn't it, that, they, that the 74 will gain, effectively, an additional to the mandatory two minutes and five. So that's the reason for the rush. Uh, 
but of course again they're, they're doing it within a time limit so that's the reason why you don't rush it because you know you've got to be down there for so long anyway um, no harm no foul and thankfully it didn't start shredding the uh, the tyre cable yeah of course uh, you know less speed more haste or vice versa yeah. and unfortunately car number 10 that is at the moment in the hands just Nielsen Racing Garrett Griss has taken over from Rob Holtz report the door the left hand side door is not is slightly open or so it seems and if that's the case and the driver can't close it it has to be brought in for repair so that, these tiny little things can just take your result screw it up into a ball and throw it in the bin don't, can't they very easily indeed and with very little warning too so Mastronardi handing over to Giacomo Puccini and they have done a 2 minutes and 36 seconds stop so that's fine actually uh, took them an extra couple of seconds so that was maybe taking into account the slight hiccup they had with the, the tyre hose around an open door as we're back to, well this is deja vu isn't it, but the other way around because the Graf car for third position muscles its way by the Mulder Motorsport car of Alex Capardi, so we've got different drivers uh, but very much the same course of action with Matthias Kaiser picking off the plays yeah, very, very tidy manoeuvre. I just uh, waved the flag briefly for Alessandro Giretti. He set the fastest up of the race. That was deposed. He's now set an even faster one. Went at 36.9 seconds. So the young Italian for Team Virage. The car's way down the order. But uh, really, that's super, super impressive to get a hold of a car like this on a track like this where you're working super hard with all this wonderful gradient change. And yet he seems to, you know, duck to water is the mm. phrase that springs to mind. Yeah, and really good to see a driver this early on in uh, his career then adapting uh, to this situation and to that particular car as well. Uh, Alex Capardia, I'm not sure whether he's 100% happy with the Mulder Motorsport car because he's been dropped by Matthias Kaiser, something I didn't expect. Uh, no problem with the overtake at all because you can be late on the brakes down into five and be caught unaware slightly, but that Mulder car, having shown great speed in the opening stint, just seems to be disappearing slightly. They are fully laden cars, we should remember now, but on a new set of tyres. And the fight that Moritz Kratz was able to take to Rory Pentonen isn't necessarily there for Capardia. Now, just remember in the first five or six laps of the race, you know, sort of around the time at either side of the safety car period, that uh, Mulder Motorsport actually dropped back for a couple of laps a little bit. But uh, certainly looking at the top of the, the hill at turn 14 before you sweep down through that long, long right hander off the start finish straight, the front end of. Uh, Capadia's car that Duquesne just didn't want to play the game and that very much is advantage to uh, Matthias Kauser there Kaiser made the overtaking manoeuvre but is pulling away didn't expect to see that uh, the new gap in the GT3 category is 14 seconds so despite the extra 16 that the number 8 car had to serve in the pits and that is because it leads the championship remember the uh, top five cars are kind of all mapped back to the team that is in sixth and you do a rather complicated calculation to work out the extra seconds that the top five cars in the championship have to serve we've only got four in this race in fact so everybody was on some degree of extra seconds and that served to equalize the fight at the head of the gt3 a little bit david perel will be looking in that 14 seconds saying well, i've got the best part of an hour to attack it problem is the man he's chasing is Giacomo Puccini who very rarely makes an error now 
the jam in the sandwich, the meat in the sandwich, whatever you want to say, but certainly in the middle of the sandwich is DKR Engineering's Lawrence Hoer. We heard from him. It's the battle for sixth place. He's in seventh, which his teammate Wolfgang Triller has held, but he's being pushed very hard by the black and orange car. Dino Lunardi behind him, Colin Noble in front. He's trying to catch the Scott, but really the body language of the cars at the moment is Lunardi is the quickest of this trio, and he's going to try his utmost to work his way round done some little adding up of points and taking away of points and totting up the totals and if DKR Engineering finish 11th that's out of the points but it's still enough for them to take the title even if Edward Cowhout can go into the lead of this race and keep it he's not yet in the lead but uh, the car that is Fabian Laverne has served a drive through penalty but has to make a driver change and that will blow it all wide open everyone else will move up another position so Cowhart will move into the lead of the race but it does mean the Lawrence Hoare and DKR Engineering will go from 7th up to 6th yes so that will change the order for the team that has the advantage in the championship and you know, it depends how long Fabian Laverne is in the pit lane the gap from Laverne current race leader back to Laurence Hort is well over a minute um, they have to spend remember just over two minutes in the pit lane but that doesn't necessarily mean they lose that full two minutes because they are still moving down the pit lane at least for the first bit at the end of the pit stop so yes it'll be interesting to see where the MV2S car heads back into the order and then what sort of speed Christoph Kresp can offer you've got the further complication of another stop that the LMP3s will all have to make there remember once the 20 minutes to go marker is passed, so you can't do that extra stop any earlier than with the 20 minutes on the clock. Again, just looking at some little cameo roles, and we've been talking about Alessandro Giretti, he's in 14th place, one place further up, Nicola Varone, an Argentinian teenager, he's only, in fact, he's going to be 20 at the end of this year, but not yet, but he's also one of the quickest drivers in the race, and the car ahead, so they're another newcomer to P3 racing, and they're really, really enjoying this challenge there'll be there's 11 seconds between them in fact Barone is much closer to anyone else he's got Dominic Schwager as his target but these guys are getting in and getting on fabulous yeah really good to, to witness and uh, you know these are names potentially that will do big things in the future of the Michelin Le Mans Cup and then onward into the ELMS and maybe even at the 24 hours of Le Mans as well having cut their teeth in the lower categories out of turn four, three cars absolutely together. So Noble in the seven Nielsen car, being chased by Laurence Hoare in the orange and black, who has a little bit of a look at the inside of turn five. I don't think that was a full-blooded uh, attempt at an overtake, but just sows the seed of doubt in uh, Colin's mind. And then also in the queue, Dino Lunardi, who you mentioned, is uh, really pushing on very quickly indeed in the Motorsport 98 car. Lunardi now being delayed by the two cars in front of him. He caught them very easily, hasn't found a passing manoeuvre, but you can see that Lawrence Hoare is de desperately trying to pick his way past. He doesn't need to get past Colin Noble, but I think he wants to get ahead because then he won't be attacked by Dino Lunardi anymore. Lunardi, a much better run out of turn 11, steering to the left and then to the right as they go down the hill trying to steer clear of a little bit of gravel that's been kicked out I noticed to the side of the circuit a few pebbles could make all of the difference not so much for tipping a car around but for picking up a potential puncture another black and white flag this time being shown in the direction of Joffrey Donada and car number six is up the inside oh very nearly some contact between Dino Lunardi and Laurence Hoare I think there was a little bit and that's the last thing DKR engineering need to be thinking about 
better maybe to let the 98 car go because still an eighth place finish which could be seventh depending on where Fabian Laverne feeds back in that will be enough for them to clinch another title so coming out of 14 definitely uh, no touch but then later on no they did avoid each other thankfully uh, but that was a bit too close to call for Lawrence Hoare. Yes, I really want a camera in the DKR engineering garage to find most of the team members lying on the floor, fanning their faces in relief at that, because uh, nothing wrong at all from their man, Lawrence Hoare. But Dino Lunardi, he's obviously got height, eyes set on a higher target, a loftier target. So Fabian Laverne still leads the race, the battle we're looking at on screen. Graf versus Mulder Motorsport. It's been the, the story of the race in terms of drivers who just cannot stay away from each other. These two cars with their first two drivers were nose to tail in the battle for second. And now Matthias Kaiser and a, a coming back Alex Capardi. Had those couple of dip laps and now he's got uh, it up to speed. I think it's possibly also the way the Duquesne puts the heat into its tyres and maybe is better on its rubber later in the race. But certainly the Ligiers you can attack from the moment you leave the pits and that's I think why we were seeing some really quick laps from the likes of Giretti and Veroni down towards the tail in their cars the Duquesne takes a little more time to get itself up to speed that's a good observation and I think Alex was fully aware of that as well loads of opposite lot required there from the man from Bedfordshire heading out of the right-hander at turn four as CD Sports, no big pardon, race leader uh, Fabian Levert for MV2S Racing is into the pit lane. This is the expected stop to make sure that Christoph Kresp gets the drive time done. Remember, he's already done five or so minutes at the start, so you might be thinking, oh, 50, 50 minutes, they're running it close on the clock, but uh, it is a total, it's an aggregate drive time however many times that Christoph Kreff is, is, is installed in the car. So he was in for the first stint. I think originally they'd planned for him to be in to the 50-minute mark, uh, but then when the race didn't pan out quite as planned, they decided to um, utilise the strategy a little bit and put Fabian Laverne in uh, much earlier than expected. So... Championship still to be settled, but with DKR Engineering running in eighth, that is fine. But uh, what wasn't fine for a second for Lawrence Hall was the fact that he had Dino Lunati right up his inside and could have just shoved him a little bit wide if he'd rotated into the gravel on the outside. The laws of physics playing their role. It would have been a dreadful way to end this season. But we've got just under 50 minutes remaining and the car that is the challenging car, Edward Cowhaup, has taken over. The number 37 entry from Cool Racing. Brilliant opening stint from Nicola Molini. And uh, Cowhap just starting to wind the pace up. He's not being threatened. He's got a, a large margin over the best of the rest, which is Matthias Kaiser. But he just has to remember. Track limits, keep it between them. That's what he does. There's no pit stop coming. Well, in fact, rubbish. There is a pit stop coming, Johnny, of course. Let's reiterate that they've got to have another run into the pits. So that provides another opportunity for someone to do what Jack Wolf did and potentially speed and unravel the whole season when you're pitching for a title. So keep it neat, keep it tidy. And also when the fuel goes in, I'm pretty sure the engine's got to be turned off, has it not? And maybe the car restarts on its own. And what if, what if all of a sudden... The, the engine doesn't fire back into life race engines aren't particularly a fan of being turned off and on and off and on although uh, of course at Le Mans that is part of the design process because they must be doing that, the LMP2s at least, uh, so many times through the course of the race but it'll just be that uh, element of doubt that DKR Engineering desperately do not want, they're in 8th position currently, that is still fine for the championship it's closer than they would have wanted to be running it but even if Edward Cohope and Nicola Molini win the motor race, 
tenth place or better is fine for DKR Engineering. If they start scoring just half a point, though, that's not going to be enough. And they would, unbelievably, they would lose the championship by just half a point. But we've got a bit of time to go before we get there. And the other thing that Laurence Hoare needs to do is, again, stay within the track limits because it can be very easy to earn yourself a drive-through penalty if you start breaching those too readily. Just over 45 minutes to go and still the closest fight on track remains between the 26 and the 21, whether it's been Pentonen versus Kratz or now Kaiser versus Capadia. These two cars have been inseparable pretty much all race long. So they head down the short straight between turn four and five. And this was the point on the circuit that Krantz finally made his manoeuvre for second place at the time prior to the pit stops. We've got uh, another 27 minutes or so to go before we will get to the point where these cars will have to pit again. Remember, as soon as 100 minutes are completed in the race, that leaves uh, you available to take your final 85-second uh, stop, and that's for fuel only for LMP3. GTs are fine now to the finish, unless they have a drama, of course, but as far as the regulations are concerned, those four GT3 cars in the race uh, can continue on to the finish. Right, uh, Hayley Edmonds has just sent up a message from the pitch. She just talked to Lawrence Hall's engineering at DK, uh, engineer at DKR Engineering. They've said, stay where you are. You don't need to do anything. Stay in that position. Don't try and challenge Dilo Lunardi. Where you are will be good for the title, even if Edward Cowhaupt for Cool Racing can go on to win this race so drivers sometimes like to be told precisely what they need to do the last thing they want to do is go around in the car and try and work out championship points yeah. as they're going a nice clear message from a race engineer can just allay some of those fears and they go right I will just do the driving bit it also simplifies their approach to the race when I was talking about the potential of being able to park the car I didn't quite expect cool racing to be on this sort of form glittering form taking pole position earlier on today and on course for a full points haul, the 26 that will go the way of Cool Racing. So, yes, they, they won't be looking to park the car. And the only reason that they might have thought about doing that is because it's a poor old John Gloria, for family reasons, can't be here today and is going to miss out on a title that he won in 2017 for the same team because, of course, Laurence Hoare is scoring points and Jean will not be with Wolfgang Triller coming in to replace him. But Triller did a really good job. Uh, he's not as quick as Jean Clory, let's face it, but he did manage to keep that car in the top ten there or thereabouts and has provided this great platform now for Laurence Hoare to pretty much stabilise the race. And he is, well, he's potentially getting by Lino, Dino Lunardi, but I just sense that you just don't want to get involved in the number 98 car. Follow Lunardi all the way to the flag and seventh place will be more than good enough. Yeah, Lunardi started the season with Eric Dodonka with a second place at Paul Ricard. Hasn't lived up to that since. Their best since then has been a fifth place, but uh, he obviously fancies getting up towards the sharp end of the field. But out front, Edward Cowhaupt has got this race to lose. The title may be beyond him. He's 22 seconds to good. In fact, the last lap from Christoph Kresp, who's come back out into second place, was uh, three and a half seconds slower. So Christoph will be picked off, probably this time around, by Matthias Kaiser. Kresp coming down the start for the straight. Kaiser tucked in behind it. Well, you can guarantee Capadia. Yes, he's tucked in behind Kaiser as well, because uh, the number 26, Graf Ligier, and the 21, Mulner Motorsport, uh, 
Duquesne, this is those of rules saying you cannot circulate anywhere but within a second of each other. That's how it's been with the two pairs of drivers since the start of the race. But Capadia still attacking for Bulna Motorsport, looking to be the top Duquesne in this race. In fact, he's looking for far more than that. He'd fancy a shot at victory. But I think you have to say, with now a 25-second advantage for our race leader, Calhab, the best they can go for is that second place. And the eagle-eyed amongst you may have spotted the pit stop time for Christoph Kresp's car last time, a 1.19. That's not long enough, you might say. Well, no, that's absolutely fine, because they did their longer mandatory stop earlier on during the safety car, in fact, the two minutes and five. They could then do their driver change as quick as they wanted. No minimum reference time for that at all. And as long as they do the 85-second stop in the final 20 minutes, that is a legitimate place for the 27 car to be running, although it's now got company because trying to fashion an inside line is Matthias Kaiser. Cresp isn't going to defend that overly. He'll also allow through in the same manoeuvre Alex Capadia, and that will jump Christoph Cresp from second down to fourth. Capadia had to really force the issue a little bit in the Bulna Motorsport. Duquesne did not want to be left behind, wanted to make sure that Christoph Cresp had seen him, and uh, whether he did or didn't the gap was filled by Capadia much quicker line through the final corner by Capadia should be able to gain a bit of a toe from Kaiser in front of him he needs to find another car length or so for it to tell though he gained a car length he needed one more to get close enough to make a move into turn one didn't happen but he's still got over 40 minutes remaining in this race to try and take second place from Matthias Kaiser and from Graf and no chance of either of these cars now getting to the sharp end with Edward Coho very much enjoying his afternoon in the sunshine without the distraction of any cars in his mirrors. Uh, the focal point definitely second place. I think if, if Capadia could wriggle free, it would be interesting to compare his lap times with Edward Coho, but I think it'll only be a couple of tenths really in the favour of the Brit, and that's too large a margin to close up on in the remaining 40-odd minutes. Latest driver to receive a black and white flag for abusing track limits is the driver who's just taken over. It's Ollie Hancock who's taken over from John Hartshorn, the second of the Kessel Racing Ferrari, so he has got to watch out. Now, to give you a visual, there's a gaggle of cars ahead of our race leader, Edward Cowhout, but he is coming up to cross the start-finish line now. And the chasing duo of uh, Kaiser and Capadia only going between turn 12, just turning into thir turn 13. That is roughly what a near 30-second advantage looks like for Edward Cowhab. He's down to turn one, and they're only coming out of turn 14, so it really, really is a tidy advantage. Yeah, and uh, gaining more and more experience, Edward, with uh, all of the Michelin Le Mans Cup racing that he's been doing. Open one or two people's eyes, I'm sure, to his talents, and it'll be interesting to see what deals he can seal potentially over the winter period, looking ahead to next year's Michelin Le Mans Cup um, series, and then quite possibly making the move up to the European Le Mans series. He's only 18 from Donneville in France and had done a little bit of um, Blanc Pound Endurance Series racing previously, so GT3 uh, competitive racing with Santilok racing, but otherwise prototype uh, experience was zero prior to coming to this championship it's actually quite interesting this year he's been racing French GT4 with one of the stars of the race but one who transgressed with Fabien Laverne they've been uh, share, sharing a car CD Sport Mercedes very very busy again that there was a replay of uh, the car that Laverne was driving handed over to Christophe Cresp kept out of the way there yeah but uh, again 
just looking at the pace of another driver who just keeps catching my attention because he bangs in fast laps at will. Alessandro Giretti still down in 14th place, but getting ever closer. He's now six seconds down on Nicola Baron, but he was lapping faster than the race leader. And uh, our race leader, Edward Cowhab, is all on his own. He's, he can run the positions he wants, put the car where he wants on the track. Just going past a gaggle of cars. He's got another trio of cars turning into turn one as he goes down past the pit exit, our race leader. But uh, certainly some really good little rolls up and down the order. So still nose to tail. These two scrapping for second and third. Head out of 14 and 15. Capardia bouncing his way over the kerb there as well, but keeps it inside the white lines on the exit. Very easy indeed to make a mistake there. More flashing of the lights from the Duquesne, which does seem to be coming good through the stint, whereas the Alicia, if anything, is losing a bit of its speed. And very interesting to witness that in the early part of this particular stint when it looked like Capardia maybe had something wrong with the car. Wasn't used to him at all losing such ground, but that was either the tyres coming in or just a, a heavy Duquesne. He's not a happy Duquesne, quite possibly, but if you burn some of that fuel off, it really does come to you, this race car. And uh, great to be able to peer into the cockpits as the cars come out of Turn 4 to see Capardia hard at work in that bright yellow helmet. Yeah, but Capardia has been racing in, P in LMP3 for a long time. He's wise, but just, yeah, you're quite right. See the front end of that car washing out with no grip whatsoever as you try to put the power down out of Turn 14. He would have thought about it. He's nursed that car. He's nursed its tyres, and hopefully it's nothing else. Still within a second. Mm. Few laps, though. Actually, the last lap, he's lost a little bit of ground, but he gets to the top of the hill through Turn 10, 11, gains it all over again. Has much more grip so it seems on the exit of turn 11 whereas increasingly for Matthias Kaiser in that second place Graf Ligier it's starting to wash out on him now so maybe his tyres beginning to go away but he's got to make them last nearly 40 minutes uh, in the remainder of this race so uh, push too hard too soon and you can really make it feel a very very long run to the chequered flag at the end of two hours it's, uh, well, in the grand scheme of things, you feel like uh, you know, the bulk of this race is already gone, but 38 minutes is a long way to continue to push. And you have got to be constantly thinking about the three-dimensional, four-dimensional nature of this race in that, you know, OK, I'm finding speed now, but where is that going to lead me if I'm pushing hard now in the last 10 minutes or so? Porsche from TFT will be lapped by these two cars, second and third. The Porsche, by the way, now being driven by Julian Anlauer. And that car is in third position in the GT3 part of the field. Let's go to Graf, though, now, and hear from Rory Pentonen with Hayley. I'm joined here by Rory Pentonen, driver of the car number 26 for Graf. So right now, there's a big battle going out on out there. Matthias Kaiser is trying to take first place, but he's also got... Uh, car number 21 snapping at his heels. I mean, tell us what it's like, you know, what is it like watching that as his co-team driver? Yeah, it's uh, for sure really interesting. And we, we knew before this race it will be a real thriller this, uh, because uh, we are fighting for the third place in championship. And uh, I think that's the most important thing now to defend the third place for the championship. So we are keeping uh, our eyes on the 69 car where they are and... Uh, I hope it, uh, we will stay in the third place. That's how we'll go. And you're doing a fantastic job showing some great pace up there. Just tell us about the circuit. What's it like as a driver to be here in Portimao for this final uh, round of the Michelin Mon Cup? 
Yeah, it's a beautiful track. Uh, it, it's one of my new favorites for now. Uh, it's uh, up and down. It's really amazing. So, yeah. It was a decent stint for me. Uh, the first half hour was okay. Then I started to struggle with uh, rear tire grip. So uh, the last 20 minutes was uh, not easy, but uh, it was an okay stint. So we think, fingers crossed for Matthias now. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Rory. Yeah, and just wondering whether Rory's ever raced at this circuit before. Quite possibly not. And it's instantly become his favourite, therefore. <laughs> Welcome to the club. I think a number of people have gone through that thought process through the years. But, you know, until now, he's been racing in, in GT3 cars. So, you know, to step up to P3s and come to a circuit like this, you can imagine the thrill and just the, just the aerodynamic grip these cars provide. Monstrous in comparison to what went before. But to me, the interesting thing in that interview was how he said the last 20 minutes he was just simply hanging on because the, t the rear tyre grip on that Ligier just going away but right now heading for second place but one slip up and Alex Capardo is so close behind he's within a second often within half a second he will be ready to pounce but for Graf their best results so far this year Matthias Kaiser and Rory Pentonen they've twice finished third twice finished fifth in fact they've thrice finished third the opening race of the season but they're heading for second so yeah end on a high and certainly you have to say that the race win with a 27 second deficit to uh, Edward Cowhaup is uh, it's beyond them but if they could take that second place they will be you know they'll end their championship with a Philip they'll be third overall in the points race and that will be a really good return for them and for Graf uh, another car to be um, the recipient of a drive-through penalty I'm afraid to say is Ollie Hancock's number 50 Kessel Racing Ferrari we've got the purple line that appeared at the bottom of the screen initially to say that they've been reported to the stewards for constant track limit abuse and that's automatically turned into a drive-through now for the car fourth in the GT3 order just starting to lose a little bit of the light I noticed now as well the headlights on the cars uh, are more prominent despite them being on for most of the race and one thing I noted uh, last night when we arrived at the track is that so, so quickly the sun drops to the horizon and then it just becomes darkness within a sort of 15 minute period always has been the case uh, here particularly this time of year as well we will be still clearly in daylight when we get to the, uh, the end of the race, but that's another reason for ending a touch early. Used to sort of 6 or 6.30 ends to the Michelin Le Mans Cup. We will have this one done by 10 to 5 local. It is as though someone's come into the room and without realising they're leaning back against the wall, their back is on the dimmer switch and they're just uh, turning it down bit by bit. But uh, still, here we are, the last day of October, just brilliant weather conditions here and it's providing the perfect circuit for these drivers to end their season a lot of them this will be their last race of definitely this championship maybe of their season and to get to the end to get to the start of this championship I think has been an achievement yeah. but the quality of the racing here up and down the field has been cracking no one could do anything about Nicola Molini he's in the garage but his car is back in the hands of Edward Kohlhaup and it looks though they'll be heading for another win it won't be enough to take them the title but uh, job very well done punching in the field as we look at Dino Lenardi continuing to attack Colin Noble that's been rumbling for quite some while but no change being offered by the Scot you wouldn't expect it that's the battle for sixth place another battle that's suddenly starting to shake up Nicola Varone and uh, Dominic Schwager Jeff, Joffrey Donada Alessandro Giretti all suddenly closing up they're fighting over all the positions outside the top ten but suddenly we had four cars covered by about three seconds and that's with Varone and uh, Giretti really picking off those in front of them. So that's a good little battle to look for as well. As continuing to rage on is the fight for second and third. 
Another drive-through penalty, this time for speeding in the pit lane for the CD Sport car that is in the hands of Geoffrey Denard. And now, Jack Wolf started the number six machine. Yes, little battles going on around Laurence Hoare, but he's desperately trying not to get involved in any of those and stay in eighth position, which is still just about good enough to keep their heads above water. He and uh, teammate uh, Wolfgang Triller. Now, Triller's a long, long way back as far as the points are concerned, remember. Uh, but he is earning points for DKR Engineering to make sure that they get a fourth title in a row and will be the only outfit to take victory in LMP3 in the history of the Michelin Le Mans Cup, if it stays like it is right now. Sad to see one of the Nielsen racing cars in the pits. That's Garris Grist at a standstill. So, in fact, we started the race with 21 cars. Unless that one goes back into the race, we'll have fallen down to 19. We lost the other CD Sport Charger early in the race with a, an off-track moment up at Turn 11 for Michael Jensen. They, didn't, they got that back to the pits, didn't manage somehow to get it back in the race. We said, Johnny, it was going to be out as an extended test session for them come what may, but alas, they didn't get the mileage, the chance to go back out onto the black stuff. Every cow he stabilises pace in the lead of the race. He's 36, 27 seconds. Look at the projection of the points. Three points will be the margin of victory at the end of the race if they stay as they are. Cool racing, do all they can, but they will end up three points short if DKR Engineering can stay where they are. That is eighth place. Johnny is now starting to do some calculations on his notepad. <laughs> it's a movable feast. The only person who can really dictate it, though, is Lawrence Hoare. Stay where I am. Cowhup can only do what he's doing, which is continue to win the race. No need to take any risks. He's got a buffer of nearly half a minute. In fact, he seems to be backing off the pace a little bit. Doesn't need to take the risks. Nobody is going to challenge from behind. The number 37, Ligier from Cool Racing. Fabulous job. Way out clear. Coming up to turn 15 to complete yet another lap. He's got 50 on the board. Lap 51. About to be completed with half an hour remaining here at the Algarve International Circuit. And it really is just a case for him for go to, going to the end of the race. There's nothing he can do about where DKR Engineering finish. And the driver on board there, Lawrence Hall, has suddenly got a new challenger. He could be going down to ninth place because yeah. Andy Merrick is closing in for United Autosports and Wayne Boyd is closing in on him. Merrick has to find 12 seconds, but he is closing in in recent laps, so this is not over. Well, remember that Laurence Hur could fall as far down as 10th and DKR would still take the championship because they would earn a point for 10th position. That would take them to 106, exactly the same points that uh, Cool Racing are set to score with their race victory. But when you do it on countback and you work out who's had more wins, well, you actually can't split them on wins. You can't split them on second or thirds either. But both down to fourth place, DKR would take it. Now, as it stands, the GT... Uh, points look like this 132 points we know Iron Lynx have won the title however Kessel racing on course for second they would move to 92 Kessel are currently running in second in the championship TFT with that spin earlier on sadly for Nicky Leutwiler it might have been a different story minus that but they'll finish third for PZ Obera Zurich say by TFT and then the Kessel racing 67 not racing today would finish fourth ahead of the other car we do have in the race the number 50 so that's very useful to know, and I think the chance of GT3 
race order changing relatively slim now although david perel at times well particularly on the last lap he was way quicker than giacomo Pacini. Pacini must have had some traffic to deal with but eight and a half seconds now the margin it started at 14 i think when they came out uh, from the pit so it is condensing another message on screen it could have a, a role to play in the championship team manager of car 69 it's cool racing but it's not our race leading car of the championship challenges edward cowhout but it's matt bell's car in fourth place overall go team manager to race director immediately if that gets a penalty that will take the pressure immediately off dkr engineering it will position them from eighth up to seventh more points as you rise up the charts don't know what it is the offense for uh, cool racing second Lissier. edward cowhart in the lead of the race he can do nothing about anything he's just going to keep going he's staying resolutely 26 seconds to the good a lock-up a moment or two ago for Christoph Kresp at the top of turn 11. I think that's the first time we've seen Christoph have a slight moment there just before the plunge downhill towards 12. Still, just a handful of tenths of seconds between second and third place cars. Matthias Kaiser in the Ligier for Graf and Alex Kapadia's Mulma Motorsport at Duquesne. And Kapadia will be getting mightily frustrated now in the wheel tracks of Matthias Kaiser. But just, just got to keep patient and hope that there's a mistake on its way from Kaiser. But it's uh, been a, a long wait for that so far. And now just under half an hour of the race to go. They take very, very different lines between 10 and 11. Capardi are deciding to do much, much more straight line that uh, approach to 11, which means he's tighter on the way in and potentially runs a little bit wide on the exit. Car 50 reported to the stewards again for limits well there's already been a drive-through penalty for ollie hancock you know 28 seconds was its last stop and the team manager for 69 being sent to race control as bruce has already described we don't know what that's all about just yet but matt bell will push on i'm sure the team have not told him that something is afoot regarding his car and his team it is metronomic how Edward Cowhaup is pegging his laps to those behind him. 26 seconds is 26.4, 26.6, 26.4. It's just staying even. And don't forget, Matt Kaiser in second place is working so hard to hold on to that position, pushed all the time by Alex Capadia. But, you know, good work from the crew. They're just keeping the message clear to Edward Cowhaup. He's got 26 minutes remaining. But picture the scene for Matthias Kaiser he still just seems to have a little bit of performance advantage but remember his teammate Rory Pentonant got out of that graph racing Ligier and said the last 20 minutes I was hanging on we haven't got to the last 20 minutes yet but uh, so has Kaiser been a little kinder on his tar in the heat of the battle in many ways he's had a tiny bit more of an margin of safety yeah. between him and uh, Alex Capadia his teammate did before when he was being attacked so hard by Moritz Krantz Moritz of course got the nose in front and then it went back the other way but uh, it just seems to have gone out from half a second to a second the gap between second and third very shortly Matt Bell will be joining the party he's just done an absolute best first sector and that gap's definitely coming down I don't think if Capali was in clear clear air not sure whether Matt would be able to catch him, but clearly Alex at times is a little bit quicker than Matthias Kaiser. Wants to get by because he's feeling the pressure from behind. Matt Bell is certainly lighting up the timing screen now. And 137.9 last time around for the man from Newcastle. 
But one of the things that's really, really tricky, uh, the circuit here in Portimao, is the hump in the start-finish straight. You don't get the long line of sight behind you. A car could be four or five seconds behind, but it hasn't crested the flat part before the track then drops down towards the first corner. So it can conceal. That moment where a driver can just have a little check around, it can conceal someone who's coming towards them. And on that last lap, well, yeah, Matt Bell took the best part of a second out of a pair of them. He's put in a very, very quick lap, just a whisker slower than the best lap of the race so far. Still in the hands of uh, the teenager, the Italian, very impressive Italian, Alessandro Giretti. Uh, another car reported to the stewards for abusing track limits is the 98 Motorsport 98 entry of Dino Lunardi. Now, that car's only four seconds up the road from Laurent Hoare. If that's uh, told, instructed to come into pit lane to serve a drive-through, that'll give DKR another place back. They don't necessarily need it, but at least they're scoring more points, and that is now confirmed by race control that the 98 car will have to uh, be will have to serve a drive-through, and the immediate car to benefit from that will be Laurent Hoare. It'll go from eighth up to seventh. The happens is still the concern over car number 69, race manager. Team manager still probably heading towards race control. That's running in fourth place. So by just simply staying where he is on the circuit, Lawrence Hall, as you say, three and a half seconds, four seconds down on Dino Lunardi. Lunardi should be peeling off to serve a drive-through penalty. And, uh, yeah, just take things as they come. Keep it clean, keep it tidy. That's the message from DKR Engineering. And a black and white flag for track limits for David Perel, second in the Kessel Racing Ferrari, in uh, second in GT3, that is. Well, car 74 just getting a warning at this stage, but they're looking to score valuable points to make sure they finish second in the GT3 part of the championship. Just nervous moments there for Colin Noble. He's picked his way past Christoph Kresp, who doesn't pull across in time. Dino Lunardi goes up a position as well, so Noble goes up into fifth. That could be elevated with those among them having a, in front and behind potentially having to serve drive-through penalties. So far, it's the car behind going on for another lap. Dino Lunardi now up into sixth place, but he's got to call at the pits. And Matt Bell going faster and faster. He's just 3.7 seconds now down on that battle for second place. It's Kaiser Capadia and closing on the duo of Kays. It's Matt Bell. Now, I wonder whether we have a, a reason for the 69 crew to be called to the race control office because an overtake that involved that car and the 27 is being investigated. A uh, moment or two ago, this is not related. The 21 car all over the kerb at turn 14. So Alex Capardia um, unsettling the car briefly there. That will have lost him some time. Yes, earlier on, obviously there was a questionable overtake be, be, uh, rather be, between Matt Bell's 69 cool racing car and the 27 of Christoph Cresp. Cresp was ahead of him, of course, earlier on because of Fabian Laverne's hard work earlier on in the race. So I wonder whether it was uh, a problem as to how Matt got through. Haven't got the images to associate with that series. There's a car facing the wrong way on the downhill stretch at 11, which is the 27 car, uh, with bits left and right of it. So Christoph Kresp has had a moment with the 24 machine. Goodness me, that's the Andy Merrick car. Now, where was Merrick in comparison with Kresp? They were right together. And presumably there's been some issue, maybe with a spinning Kresp and Merrick had nowhere to go. Or did they make contact with each other in the braking area for turn 10 and 11? Very tricky to tell from this distance. It's actually in the kink, isn't it, at nine? So it's before they've got to, to 10 and 11. Yeah, you go, you, 
you go into a dip and at turn nine you're then starting to rise kicks up very very fast so i don't know if one car one's guess might be the one in front uh, had a little moment and it snapped back across the track yeah it's had a spin out of the kink now how did andy merrick find it he's coming presumably on the outside line or was it because the other car pulled back onto the track let's take a look i fear that is going to be the case andy merrick well left with two-thirds of nowhere to go Oh, really unfortunate there for United Autosports and Andy Merrick. He was on a really good charge with Wayne Boyd close around him as well. They were working their way up through the tail end of the top ten and definitely on the rise. Time to go gain more places. Safety car coming out onto the circuit. The car is sideways across the track, Christoph Kress, but there's lots of debris up there as well, Johnny. That's a real, real shame for Andy Merrick. I hope he's OK because that was a nasty crash, absolutely harpooning Christoph Cresp and... Well, it depends what the marshals were signalling to Andy Merrick. You can't, as the rejoining car, just expect people to get out of your way. But at the same time, if there are yellow flags out, then generally the message from race control is you need to be slowing down and being prepared to stop. So automatically, in the old days, you would say that was Cresp's fault. But in the modern era, maybe not. Tricky to tell. Thankfully, we're not making the decision. But it's a, se- a second safety car period for this race, and it falls right as the, the window for the second pit stop is opening. And we've got Alex Capardi, who's responded to that. Kaiser's come in, Capardi has come in from second and third, and Matt Bell as well from fourth. They've uh, been very intelligent. Andy Merrick limping a little bit. That was a, a big contact, and uh, really you had to feel for Andy Merrick there. It's a tricky part of the circuit. In fact, quite a few parts of this Algarve International Circuit provide little uh, scope to see what's ahead of you, but it was just the fact that the car... Christoph Kresp, MV2S, had gone off on one side of the circuit and then just put himself back into the middle of the track and having guessed he wanted to go to the inside. Both United Autosports cars came through very close together but uh, Wayne Boyd in the second one of those got through. But unfortunately he only got through, in fact, because Andy Merrick hit the uh, other car and moved it out of the way. United Autosports could have lost both of their cars in one fell swoop. Yes, that could easily have claimed the uh, 23 car with Merrick in the 24. But yes, that's the downside of both cars running at such close quarters, and they have been doing that for, for quite some time. Wayne Boyd all the way up to second place now, and he's going to be, well, with a safety car right on the tail of Edward Cohope. So Cohope, yes, just needs to, just, in inverted commas, needs to win the race. Uh, this is going to help Laurence Hoare, though, of course. Have we yet seen the stop for the car that was ahead of it and judged to be at fault? Um, I'm trying to remember who that was, actually. They were given a drive-through, weren't they? And that was going to put that car behind the Laurence Hoare machine. But we've had stops already, by the way. This is now the second stop that each of the LMP3s have to make because of the worry about fuel consumption with the new Nissan engine. And, I mean, theoretically, everybody could do their extra stop here, which is an 85-second stop minimum under the safety car, and we could be left with everybody racing for, for position just as soon as the safety car is withdrawn. Yeah, and you have to think that Edward Cowhelp and Wayne Boyd need to get in the pits pronto. I don't think it's going to be the shortest safety car period, but in case it is, they need to serve that second pit stop and get back out into the train of cars. Other cars just diving into the pit lane, including Wayne Boyd and just in front, Edward Cowhelp. So they have responded, and uh, presumably they should be able to... Well, we'll see where they rejoin, but uh, the last few pit visitors coming in and uh, again, a hiatus in this race. And nearly 30 seconds was Cowhelp's advantage uh, at the 
after the incident involving Christoph Kresp and uh, Andy Merrick left with the was pretty much a face full of nowhere to go going through the kink uphill kink at turn nine and finding a car sitting in the middle of the track went to the inside line the natural way to go and unfortunately it was then filled for him so for United Off Sports on the charge with both Wayne Boyd and Andy Merrick two Brits pressing on and unfortunately for Andy Merrick his was the one that was met with a face full of a rival's car sitting stationary in the middle of the track I mean that was the other complication is that Christoph Kresp was trying to uh, get the, the required steering lock along with rejoining he was trying to get the car muscled over the curve as well and it, as he said it was virtually stopped he picked up some reasonable speed uh, to get himself off the grass but then whether trying to locate first gear or the required steering as I mentioned uh, was then heavily collected the car now trying to overtake the rescue truck which is an interesting technique whilst it's still got the strop attached what, what's a surprising is the fact that uh, there doesn't seem to be as much damage on the car that was stationary as the one that hit no, it no. I know a lot of the bodywork it was bodywork damage but it was a big old clonk and Andy Merrick certainly felt the impact uh, in front of him as well as the fact it's just simply quite shocking when suddenly you you're pressing on and suddenly yeah. something you just don't expect happens in front of you but as well race leader Edward Cowhaup has made his pit stop back out <coughs> excuse me onto the circuit yeah so Matthias Kaiser scored as the race leader now, but that car hasn't made... Uh, no, it has made its second stop. Matt Bell, likewise, and the 21 of Alex Capardia as well. So it depends where they were all, will all feed back into the mixture, but I'm not sure this has necessarily gone well for Edward Cohope. Are we in a scenario now where Laurence Hoare circulates ahead of Cohope? which is a dream situation for DKR Engineering. They were doing fine anyway in eighth place. Second pit stop now for Rinaldi Racing and Nicola Varone, rather, the Argentinian, in the fourth best Duquesne. Got that uh, clutch of Duquesne cars running third, fourth and fifth places. But, yeah, I'm not entirely sure how we've ended up with the Cohope car behind I suppose because they're all behind the safety car and it really depended on where they were, all were on the racetrack, they've each done 1 minute and 25 1 minute 26, one car's done a 1 minute 30, but that's your 85 seconds ticked off and yes we have a new race leader speaking about Rory Pentinel, speaking to Rory earlier on saying all they were going for really was third in the championship well 25 points will certainly help them in that regard but Matthias Kaiser is going to have Matt Bell absolutely snapping at his heels when we go racing again. Just 14 minutes remain on the clock. Well, just a real twist in the tail here. Everything. It was a near 30-second advantage for the car that surely was heading for victory. Cool Racing's entry, driven now by Edward Cowhout, brilliantly driven by him, brilliantly driven in the first half of the race by Nicola Morlini. But... What I'd love to see if I could wind back time was where they were when the safety car came on the circuit and why they didn't come in. Likewise, Wayne Boyd would have tumbled down the order uh, big time. He's fallen listed to seventh place behind sixth place Edward Cowhout, but they not so much. Boyd, Boyd went up to second by dint of not coming into the pits, but Edward Cowhout had that really huge lead. He's going to have to light it up when it gets to the restart. He will be at the moment about, he's listed as eight seconds down. That's the compression on the race leader but for Matt Kaiser 
Well, it's come really, really good for Graf. They've had those three third places, but to end the season with victory would be mighty. But he's got Matt Bell in behind him, but we've seen that Matt was catching uh, Kaiser and Kapadia, and in fact, in that pit stop sequence, has managed to get past. And again, looking at those times, Kapadia's pit stop for Mourner Motorsport, 1 minute 30. Yeah. And the two cars in front, 1 minute 25, 1 minute 26. That is how the places change. So, full marks to cool racing, but the car they really want to win is not the one driven by Matt Bell. No disrespect to Matt and Maurice Smith, but it's Edward Cowhap and Nicola Morlini. That is their only hope of a championship. But look at the clock. Safety car still running around. 12 and a half minutes remain. Are we going to get this race underway before the finish? I think we will, but there won't be much time for anyone to readjust their position. No, and certainly not for Edward Cohen to make up five places. I think you're, you're bang on with its position relative to the finish line when the safety car came out. Presumably it either couldn't pit or they chose not to pit on the first opportunity. You then get wedged behind the safety car, which is circulating at 80 k's at best, maybe as slow as 60 kilometres per hour. And those behind, which do have the advantage of then going as fast as they like, really, to catch up with the safety car train, they can do the stop, and then they can gain all that time back again. Whereas poor old Edward, well, they've been in a situation where it was the safety car dictating the speed. That's where all the time has been lost. 30 seconds, as you said, as a race lead, and then five places. So a massive topsy-turvy change to the race order, and Wayne Boyd's been caught up in it as well. Dino Lenardi has emerged in roughly the same sort of place that he was actually in eighth place. That car has been in, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. twenty-six. And he's just been waved past. He's going to be. He's about ninety-five percent of the lap down because coming out of the final corner onto the start finish straight is the is is the Mercedes uh, pace car. But in fact, Nicola, sorry, number ninety-eight disappeared from my view, from my little screen. He was a little dot on the screen, and now he isn't. So anyhow doesn't matter he's not at the sharp end of the field so it's Matt Kaiser leading around from Matt Bell and Alex Capardia but the safety car is in front of them and also some of the GT3 runners are in front of them as well so that could be something in the mix as they try and race to the finish of this event the last two-hour race of the season the clock keeps counting down and laps really do disappear under the safety car well, the reason why the GTs are the first four cars on the road behind the safety car is, of course, they didn't have to make a second stop, so they just stayed out and everybody around them came in for their extra 85-second uh, delivery of fuel. And uh, in that stop, you can only do fuel and then sort of meddle with the tyre pressures if you so wish, clean the windscreen, but anything else is strictly outside of the rules. And we are left, therefore, with Giacomo Piccini, not the race leader, but he is the first car behind the pace car is actually 13th in the overall positions ahead of David Perel in the 74 Kessel race in Ferrari third position and third on the road is well, third position in GT3 and third on the road behind the safety car Julian Andlauer and then it's the Ollie Hancock driven Ferrari number 50 but the race leader has to be behind Hancock I'll, I'll check that again in a moment but that did look like a Graf livery car with Matthias Kaiser driving it so one, two, three, four GTs, and then the 26 car. So it's all about to happen. We will go race again. Safety car in at the end of this lap. And I'm starting to feel for Matt Kaiser. He'd been attacked by uh, 
Alex Gapardia for the second half of this race, the safety car hiatus, but Matt Bell has got into second place. He just banged in the fastest lap of the race just before the safety car. He and his teammate, uh, Maurice Smith, have taken one win early this year at Paul Ricard. I think they're really in the market for another. And, of course, for their sister car, the other car from Cool Racing, that was the one that they really had to win the race. That's restarting, taking this restart with nine minutes on the clock from sixth in the queue. What might have been may yet still be, but it's going to be really, really hard for them. And particularly the car they need to pick off is the one immediately in front, DKR Engineering, the championship leaders. Within nine minutes, ten minutes, they could be champions. So, a fascinating restart between the two GT3 leaders. It might not be that they are leading the race outright, but this is David Perel's opportunity to get ahead of Giacomo Puccini. And likewise, Matt Bell absolutely side-by-side side as Perel is nearly in the pit lane. So the two Ferraris absolutely side-by-side. Side. He went for it, didn't he? But now on the fight back, Giacomo Puccini. Meanwhile, Matt Bell did get ahead of Matthias Kaiser for the lead of the race overall as they work their way through. I knew this was going to be busy. What a cracking into the season this is for eight or nine minutes. Out of four they go. The Porsche just trying to stay out of trouble as best it can. And the Ferraris in the end then did not change position. And it's a battle side by side between the two leaders in P3 and GT3. Yeah, and Edward Cowhalf has got past Lawrence Hort. Doesn't matter to Hort, he can let him through, but it was really squirrely and snaky. I wasn't sure I liked that bad moment between the two Ferraris on the run. Uh, one effectively diving into pit exit. Anyhow, it's Mastronati in front. Oh no! Matt Bell, by the looks of things, has gone off. Is that him backwards? Wait for yes. the dust to settle. Yes, it is. He's the, got the green rear wing on the 30. Um, on which number is that? 69, isn't it? We'll confirm that in just a second when they go through the next split. But I can see the graph car there. Yes, Matthias Kaiser now confirmed as the race leader. Colin Noble's up to second for Nielsen Racing. Alex Capardia for Mulner Motorsport running third. And Laurent Hoare, amazingly enough, the DKR engineering crew who are set to take the title if things stand like this. He's running fourth ahead of Wayne Boyd and Edward Cohope, who'd led the race for such a long time and had that mammoth 30-second advantage. Well, i tell you something, I think for nothing, I don't think uh, Matt Bell went off all on his own. Turn seven, not the sort of place you're likely to get it wrong. Driver of Matt's experience, but uh, oh, extraordinary. He did. he did it all on his own. Sorry, I, I stand corrected, and I just thought it, they were all so close, but oh, how frustrating. Everyone else behind, at least nobody else was caught out in that moment. Imagine that on this restart. Yellow flag out at turn seven. Giacomo Puccini now reported to the stewards for dangerous driving. Well, that can only be what happened at the restart when David Perel ended up in the pit lane exit road. They were side by side and he did get squeezed to driver's right. I mean, you made the comment and I agreed with it at the restart. Uh, they nearly made contact. Great driving from the both of them to avoid that, but that's not something we like to see. And David Perel, therefore, could be with an opportunity to take victory here. It depends how the stewards react to that. Would it be a drive through, or possibly even worse? Yeah, well, let's see. Leading by 1.8 seconds, Matt Kaiser. Colin Noble, though, for, you, for Nielsen Racing, really looking to end the season on the high. Their best result, third place at Spa in round two. Second is great, but they really fancy a first win. Absolutely nothing Tony Wells can do about it, but Colin Noble on a massive charge. But look, just under six minutes remaining in the race. And what a race. Everywhere you look, someone is having a fight with someone. Yeah, that was uh, Nicola Verone, wasn't it? Around the outside at turn nine to try and net himself uh, certainly seventh and possibly sixth on Wayne Boyd. Meanwhile, Alex Capardia reaches the top of the hill at 13. 
with set five and a half minutes still to go. Kaiser leads it by 1.4 seconds from Colin Noble and the Nielsen number seven. This might be the best result of the year for Nielsen. It Alex will Capardi, be. Yeah, in third position and Laurence Hoare in fourth ahead of Dino Lunardi and Wayne Boyd. Now, who was for 55 trying to get through as he had a oh, little yes. look at Matt Bell? did the restart in sixth, didn't I thought I saw him gain a position on the run over towards turn five, over that crest, past the, the big rotunda, the viewing tower, but he, he seemed to have lost a couple of positions by the end of the lap, might have been mistaken identity, but he just doesn't have the pace at this point in the race, his last lap was a 1 minute 49, a good lap is a 1 minute 39, something very much untoward for the car that could have taken the title it was always an outside chance but with dkr engineering number three just still going but this extraordinary situation johnny with the gt3 runners yeah. in among the p3 cars at the end of the race here david perel got such a great run on the number eight car that leads the gt3 division of this race but he couldn't find an inside line at five because the whole place was flooded with MP lmp3s that were getting through obviously because of their greater downforce ability and their slightly higher speed as well between four and five and now Perel's opportunity of getting by eight on the road I think might have gone although Giacomo Piccini is going to have to deal with these quicker LMP3s behind it's Dominic Schwager in the 66 and also there is the three it's a three car of Lawrence Hurst so they're not even on the same lap but it doesn't stop them and potentially tangling with each other. Well, for David Perel, the place, the, the win in GT3 could come his way because the team manager of car number eight to race, can, race director immediately. We know why. It was the restart, and certainly with David Perel's Kessel Racing Ferrari ending up across the red and white hatching at pit exit. Uh, it seems there is quite a case to answer. Up at the front of the field, one second to the good. Matt Kaiser surely now heading for victory, but... Uh, Ooh, closing in but only by a tenth of a second Colin Noble heading for second place will be the best result for Nielsen Racing this year but he wants more and why not this is not a nice place for Laurent Hoare to be involved with Dino Lenardi he is allowed to get by and uh, I perfectly understand that he's right ahead remember of the GT3 leader so Giacomo Piccini not wanting to give up this relentless pace the only thing Laurent Hoare wants to do is just stay well out of the way of any potential carnage but he's in the melee and there were three LMP3s completely bolted together as they headed across the line so he's happy to relinquish some of these places but you know, how far does, does he tumble uh, with Wayne Boyd and Nicola Varone very close indeed for United and for Rinaldi respectively more yellow flags this time being displayed through the kink at six and the first bit of seven now that's is that still to do with Matt Bell or is there something else that's happened on that part of the track? Matt Bell, of course, stranded in the gravel after he ended up there all on his own at the restart. I, th I think it's still the one incident. I think it's just yeah. to warn the drivers before that left-hand kink because you go over a bit of a brow and then, of course, you arrive very soon after that at turn seven with the car still beached in the gravel. I think that's very sensible marshalling. But this <laughs> just over two minutes remaining in this race, three-quarters of a second between Matt Kaiser leading the race and Colin Noble in second. But Colin is going to have to strike very, very soon. And for Lawrence Hall, he's safe at the moment in fifth place the title will be his but it's busy he's got Wayne Boyd all over his tail he's just under a second down on Dino Lunardi he could lose a place or two it honestly doesn't matter for DKR engineering but it's just not getting caught in someone else's moment really still very tight for the top two Colin Noble senses can smell a race victory here but he needs to start to turn the screw on Matthias Kaiser there's a minute and 40 seconds left on the clock and that time round here in an LMP3 car is a minute and 38, minute and 37 at best. 
So let's see how much time will be left on the clock. Oh, we're inside a lap time now, aren't we? So for the race leaders, once they go across the line, they will be effectively uh, seeing the last lap board. And Kaiser versus Noble, eight tenths of a second now separate them. It's a lot, lot less than that, though, in GT3 with uh, the white and black of Giacomo Piccini just ahead of the red and white of David Perel. Yeah, I just had confirmation, by the way. We raised the question, why did Edward Cowhout not come in? He just passed pit entry when, with the safety car, and really that's so cruel. It, it took any tilt at the title from them, and they, Nicola Molini and Edward had this race in the palm of their hand. They were 30 seconds to good. I bet they were wishing they were only 28 seconds to good because that could have been all the difference and they would have then been able to dive into the pit lane. And right now, Edward Kohalp is down in eighth place overall, shoulders down, disconsolate. He's three seconds down on Nicolò Varon. He's way ahead of uh, Alessandro Giretti, but really, it was, it was removed from their hands. They didn't make a mistake. It just didn't happen their way. Yeah. It's cruel. Yeah, they couldn't have pitted before the 100-minute mark in the race, and as they crossed the line or pa passed the pit lane entry, there weren't enough minutes gone and it was probably down to actually seconds but they had no choice to come in because they would have been outside of that final pit stop window and whereas the cars further back did have that time in hand and the luxury of choosing when they came in and those that pitted earlier were in a far better place they didn't have to circulate behind the safety car nothing between these two there's still a bit of a question mark as to the behavior of Giacomo Puccini at the restart but his number one task is keeping the red and white car behind in number 74 from Kessel. One thing that will help Puccini is the fact there's a yellow flag at turn eight. Can't tell you what that's for. They've cleared the one for turn seven for Matt Bell's car. That's obviously been removed, but all oh, going one way, going the other. Perel's trying to take the outside line. There is no outside line at turn five. Of course, he'll get the better exit speed, but then <laughs> can't quite get it. Oh, and half a car length again, but it's not enough through turn six. They go. And this is the point where the yellow flag will kick in. So uh, even though Perel might get a good run through turn eight, he's going to have to stay in the wheel tracks of car number eight, Giacomo Piccini, as the race leaders are about to finish the final lap of the season. But we will keep you tuned to the order of those two Ferraris. Doesn't matter for the championship, but the 74 desperate for a race victory and for Kessel Racing. For the final time this year then, out of turn 15, Comes the race leader, soon to be race winner, Matthias Kaiser for Graf, and along with Rory Pentonen in the earliest in, they become victors in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Congratulations to them after a bizarre old finish to the race, and only by 0.8 of a second do Colin Noble and Tony Wells miss out. Uh, Alex Capardia home in third place, along with Moritz Kranz, and they drove an exemplary race as well in their Duquesne. Dino Lunardi in the 98 car will finish in fourth place uh, along with his co-driver Eric Dodonka and in the GT3s it was Giacomo Puccini who hung on by just under a quarter of a second from David Perel that was really very tight indeed for the last few laps and well pay close attention to the results website later on this evening because there might be a post-race decision to be made there regarding Giacomo Puccini's technique in holding David Perel back at the restart. Well, you can obviously say drivers don't come to a circuit and think fifth place would be really rather good, but it certainly is very, very good for DKR Engineering. Lawrence Hoy must have felt cars were coming at him from all angles after that restart. In fact, cars were coming from all angles at everybody after that restart, but he just wanted his car to be bulletproof. And for DKR Engineering... 
champions in 2017. There's a bit of a theme coming here. 2018, 2019, and now 2020. So well done, and well done too for Wolfgang Triller for doing the hard yards in the first half of the race. And for DKR Engineering, huge applause down in their garage. They have done it again. And watching from home, Jean Gloria up in Belgium must be going, well done, crew. Yeah, he knows what it's like. John Gloria was champion in 2017, but he would dearly have loved to have backed that up with another championship in 2020. But for family reasons, as explained to us by Laurence Hoare a little bit earlier on in the race, he stays at home and uh, a, a real tough decision, but I think the right one for him not to be here today. And there is always next year, of course. Laurence Hoare, in the meantime backing up his title from last year with Francois Kerman with another in 2020 so um, a decision to be made by Laurence as to what he does in season 2021 maybe go for the hat-trick of victories in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Reno Mastronardi and Giacomo Pacini were already confirmed as champions they did that at Monza at the team's home race and the driver's home race uh, but they managed to take victory on the road as well although there was that message on the screen suggesting that a team manager from car eight would need to go to race control we haven't yet had anything through on our screen saying that that was bad driving um it was questionable certainly because there was a squeeze put on david perel as they were going down to the first corner at very very high speed and from perel's perspective ending up effectively off the racetrack would not have been uh, um, a great feeling they did avoid contact and Pacini did allow Perel to rejoin the racetrack uh, but because Perel then was so deep into turn one Pacini got the place back again and I'm sure that will be reviewed a few more times before we get the eventual confirmed final classification can't shut the door now Matthias Kaiser but that will matter uh, there is a team member on site that is able to do that for him and congratulations to Graf who, well, had to ride the storm for a lot of that. Think about all the attacking that it had from behind from the Mulner Motorsport car, whether it was Moritz Kranz or Alex Kapadia. Uh, and they come out winners. That's their reward. It goes to prove that uh, on so many small margins, a race could be won or lost. It could have been so easy in that battle between both pairs of drivers from Graf and uh, from Mulner Motorsport. Just to slip a little late under braking into turn 11, as we saw, or down into turn one. Uh, and what a tale of ups and downs for Cool Racing. They had it in the bag with the car, with their championship hopefuls. They ended up in eighth overall just because they couldn't get into the pit lane. It, didn't, it wasn't ready for them. They were past it before the safety car came out, and that cost them the lead. In fact, they came back out in sixth place. I think there was a moment as well for Edward Cowhout, but uh, by then it was too late. And their sister car now being removed from the gravel the outside. Matt Bell got into the lead. He was going to at least give surely a race win to cool racing to round out their season it didn't happen he was uh, off on his own just too quick into turn seven and uh, got so many stories within that final michelin Le Mans cup race for 2020 as reno mastronardi walks down the pit lane towards the podium giacomo piccini be waiting for him but uh, it's quite possible the race directors will be and stewards will be waiting to speak to them as well they've already asked for the team manager from iron links to go up and pay them what may not be a social visit but uh, thoroughly entertaining season so many ups and downs but i think looking at the racing today the ups outweigh the downs very mm. very much i think it's been fabulous advertisement for this championship on a circuit that uh, is absolutely brilliant 
No, very much agreed there and uh, delighted for Graf Racing to take their first victory of the season. So wind the clock back to um, to the start of the race at 10 to 3 this afternoon. Very busy indeed. This was a sign of things to come. And one car caught going around the outside of a couple of others to gain places was Team Virage. They would be pinged for that later on. And clouds of tyre smoke from certain cars. Actually, that was uh, Maurice Smith in the early stages in the car that eventually Matt Bell would take over. Drone coverage uh, really supplying a, this uh, great ability to see the circuit from some different angles and to appreciate the gradient change. An early safety car because of the CD Sport number 5 machine finding the gravel at turn 11. That also provided an opportunity for Christoph Cresp to come in and switch to co-driver Fabian Laverne who would then motor his way through the order. Finally an overtake for Moritz Kranz. He tried virtually all through his stint to get ahead of the eventual race winner number 26 and that would provide a great platform for Alex Capardia when he took over and the battling continued mid-race between, well, sometimes GTs and LMP3s. It didn't seem to matter. Uh, straight into the new stint for the drivers, uh, Matthias Kaiser and Alex Capardia and Kaiser wasted no time at all in uh, repaying the favour on the Mulner Motorsport Duquesne car. 37 that was the long-term leader eventually dropping back by virtue of uh, the pit stop the final pit stop that needed to be made and purely it's timing that didn't go well this was a nasty incident still I think being investigated but uh, not a great sight to see Andy Merrick limping away from his car after that big impact and the United Autosports car far more damaged visually uh, than the car that it uh, collected and Andy Merrick, well, great to see him actually walking away under his own steam, but he would have to spend a little bit of time lying down behind the Armco barrier, thankfully, with a couple of marshals in attendance tending to him. Then the restart, and this is what we're all talking about now, as David Perel got the run on Giacomo Pacini. There's no doubt about that, but he wasn't necessarily given the space, and he ended up in the pit, the pit lane exit road. Thankfully, was able to rejoin the track safely, but there was the glancing blow as well. Pacini would leave the scene in the lead of the race. Matt Bell, who was leading at the time, spinning off all on his own and into the gravel trap at turn seven, which would leave yellows out and that part of the circuit for the rest of the race. And this was, remember, only about a nine minute restart or nine minutes left on the clock as we went racing again eventual winners then Matthias Kaiser together with his teammate Rory Penton and a first win I think of both of their careers certainly a first win this year for number 26 uh, in the Graf car so congratulations to them Colin Noble and Tony Wells with the best result of their season too and Mulner Motorsport for Moritz Krantz and Alex Capardia finishing in third position so, a very professional result for the final round, round six of the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Graf take victory after 67 laps by 0.8 of a second from the Nielsen car number seven and Mulner third. Motorsport 98 with Dino Lunardi and Eric Dodonka finishing fourth ahead of DKR Engineering. United Autosports, that's the uh, much straighter of the two cars that started the race. Rinaldi, Cool, Team Virage and Rinaldi Racing in their sister car complete the top ten. Then the CD Sport number six of uh, Geoffrey Donada and Jacques Wolf. Edex Sport had a spin mid-race, but did recover to 12th. 
And this is the provisional bit, I would wager. Eight finishing ahead of 74, certainly on the track. And we wait to see what the decision is from the stewards' room. But the four GT3 cars are the final finishers, actually. Everybody behind them, Cool Racing, MV2S, United, Nielsen and CD Sport, either didn't make the finish or didn't do the required 75% of it. But, of course, you still need to be a race finisher in this type of racing uh, to uh, be, be deemed as a uh, car with a result. But Iron Lynx ahead of Kessel Racing and then TFT to complete the GT3 podium after a good drive from Julian Anlauer. Unfortunately, a spin earlier on in the race for Nicky Leutwiler um, meant that we weren't fully concentrating on the Frenchman's stint, but he was only 1.3 seconds away from David Perel. And I did wonder whether he might be able to get involved with those two Ferraris at the restart, but they had other plans, I think it's fair to say. The sun's going to set very, very quickly here, but uh, for me, some cracking memories from this uh, hastily arranged Michelin Le Mans Cup season. The first race we had was July after uh, the chaos of 2020, and we all know the stories behind that, but really good that we could get six races in. And I think particularly when we went to Le Mans, this, uh, this championship really did advertise itself perfectly. So we are actually in the process now of waiting for instruction from race control. It'd be nice to get it straight for the podium uh, rather than deliver the trophies and then for everything to be rearranged, kind of when people are on the flights home. No, exactly so. And in fact, in these uh, days of social distancing and needing things to be wiped down, you don't want to give the trophies to one team and then have them given to another it's one, a do you? That's very good point. Yeah. There we are. Health and safety comes to the fore in the world of Bruce. But, uh, you know, I look back at that race and it was just... I thought it was absolutely stunning. I think there was racing everywhere we went looking and some real little good little cameo roles coming as well for names for the future. But just looking at the history of Rory Pentonen, he only came across to P3s this year. Matthias Kaiser had a toe in the water last year, but only started his racing career effectively last year. So it is the first win at this level for the two of them. Yep. And, uh, you know, with Matthias coming from Liechtenstein, the last driver I can remember coming from Liechtenstein was Ricky von Opel, who raced in Formula One, the kind of the Opel family back in the early to mid-1970s. So he's, he's second in a very long line, a very short yep. line, and yep. uh, certainly really made impact. Because both Kaiser and Pentonen had to suck up so much pressure. Constant attacks from first Moritz Krantz and then uh, from Alex Capadia. So that makes it, you know, they'll be all the more delighted with that. They didn't crack. So the Porsche, no question, finished in third. This is the PZ Obera Zurichsee-sponsored TFT-prepared Porsche. And question of what might have been I suppose as far as Nicky Leutwiler is concerned don't quite know how he ended up uh, in a half spin at turn 14 but it cost him 30 odd seconds and that might have put him in a slightly better position when we reached the safety car 74 at least on the road finishing in second place for Kessel Racing after a good drive from Michel Bronizhevsky once again rock solid he was as the bronze and the opening stint and he handed over to David Perel uh, who's always lightning quick and uh, gave it absolutely everything to uh, take the lead away from Giacomo Puccini. But it's the eight car, though, that finished ahead. And we're waiting to see what the stewards have decided regarding that scrap. It's relatively easy, I suppose, to reverse the positions if they think that Giacomo Puccini was enough at fault for that to be warranted. But we are now going to actually 
we're now going to uh, potentially do the trophy presentation for LMP3s and delay GT3, but it may well be that we can't get to the podiums before the end of our programme. Sadly, um, so dramatic the final round has been, but at least the championships are settled and that's all done and dusted and, and this decision doesn't necessarily change the course of who we're going to be seeing at the one next year. And DKR just continue to rattle on. They have taken another title in the Michelin Le Mans Cup and amazingly finished ahead of the car that they were fighting with. I don't think they saw that coming and I certainly didn't either. My thanks to Bruce Jones over the last couple of hours. Hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. From Bruce Jones and Johnny Palmer, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye for now. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.